0: It's 47 degrees now at DVEM. Val Porter, a fashion icon who killed herself, reportedly left a note telling her daughter not to blame herself. Kate Spade was found dead in her Manhattan apartment yesterday. The Kansas City Star published an email from her older sister. She detailed how the iconic fashion designer suffered debilitating mental illness for the last three or four years and was self-medicating with alcohol. Rita Sappho wrote that Spade's suicide by hanging, quote, was not unexpected by me. Four years ago, the sisters were together on the day of Robin Williams' suicide, and she said that she kept watching the news reports over and over and She believes a plan was already in motion even that far back. Family attempted an intervention convincing Spade to seek treatment for bipolar disorder at the same place Catherine Zeta-Jones went. Spade balked because she feared hospitalization could hurt her happy-go-lucky brand. She said, quote, she was definitely worried about people uh, and what they would say. TMZ reports that her husband Andy Spade had moved out and a divorce was imminent.
1: Isn't that crazy that when you're contemplating suicide Even if you're that low, you're still concerned about what people are going to say if you're ready to end it. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Sad.
1: It's Oh, man, it's
0: horrible. A Verizon worker is being accused of stealing a nude photo from a customer. North Huntington police arrested William Hickman Jr. for the alleged crime. The woman victim says she went to a Verizon store to get help transferring her data. She claims when she went home and checked her iCloud, a nude photo of herself had been sent to an unknown number, which was later discovered to be that of Hickman. He is now <laughs> facing charges of invasion of privacy and harassment. The Miss America pageant- that,
2: uh, By the way, I mean that has to be the number one thing you do before you take your phone in. Make sure you don't have any nude pictures on there. I'm not saying it's her fault That's what or I anything. Do. But I just assume anybody looking at your personal equipment is a total degenerate (laughs) that is waiting to find some personal information they can exploit. You got to scrub. You got to scrub before you go
3: to the mall. There's no
2: doubt. Because I've I've
3: said this before is I don't have any nude pictures on my phone, but there's definitely a video of me checking my barbell squat form. That's just (laughs) as embarrassing as anything (laughs) I could have been doing. You You don't want that. getting No, I'm listening to DMX. It's not good (laughs) at all for anybody.
1: Stop. Drop, roll them down, set them up, shop. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) Somebody looking at mine would just be like, why did she take so many pictures of her dogs?
2: She got a lot of pictures of snakes. And snakes. This lady likes snakes. Yeah.
0: The Miss America pageant getting a major makeover. The annual Atlantic City Beauty Competition, scrapping its swimsuit and evening gown competitions, Gretchen Carlson, who chairs the organization's board of trustees, made the announcement on Good Morning America. Carlson, a former Fox TV anchor who sued Roger Ailes for sexual harassment, says contestants will be asked to showcase their intelligence, passion and understanding of what the job of Miss America requires.
2: I thought it was I mean, I I don't know, as a beauty pageant um, that never seemed to be like outside of the realm of good taste to have the evening gown competition yeah. or the swimsuit competition. I mean I uh, this is this is one there of those things that I'm I'm very
3: afraid that people are gonna say what a great step and then the ratings are going to come in next year and it's gonna be like, oh six people watched this. Right, like exactly. that's that's it. And now the scholarship doesn't exist because we can't
2: get any sponsorship money. So <laughs> possibly an overcorrection on this one.
0: Uh this happened in Burlington, Washington earlier this month. A thief spotted on surveillance in a grocery store just yawning like crazy, wandering around the store, yawning. Uh, it must have been awful, however sleepy he was, because the guy stole a bunch of Red Bull and nothing else. He filled up his cart with about $250 worth of Red Bull and just pushed it right out the front door. Police are trying to track him down.
1: He's like, I would have stolen the five-hour energy, but it's right up by the register, and
2: I didn't want to risk it. <laughs>
0: I feel that guy's pain.
2: It kept falling through the grates of the shopping cart. (laughs) (laughs) Very tiny.
0: There are some foods that can help cure a bad case of constipation, but usually for them to be effective, you you have to ingest them. You know, like the normal way people do. A 50-year-old man in China did it all wrong, though, after not being (laughs) able to go for two days. He decided to you, which two days is not... It's not a long time, right? Uh, and but I'm you thinking, start to feel
3: not like yourself after a day or sure, two. Sure,
0: but I'm starting to wonder if that this, this is just a ruse. Uh, the 50 year old man decided to use a large eggplant as an auger.
1: Uh huh. Oh. Uh huh. Okay.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, not only did the large purple an fruit auger. not cure his constipation, <laughs> it caused nausea and vomiting, and that's when he decided to go to the hospital. Doctors took an X-ray and discovered the nearly foot-long eggplant was so far embedded, it was damaging one of his lungs.
3: What? What kind of
2: short torso does this guy have? (laughs) They're like, we're we're just going to give you the Heimlich and get rid of it.
0: (laughs) Doctors ended up uh, doing surgery. They did remove the eggplant. They expect him to recover. What's now, when
2: is- they
1: pulled the pin, was it just a
3: total
0: disaster? <laughs> <laughs>
4: like,
1: <laughs> Don't you feel like just
3: how Ambien had to make a statement with Roseanne, now the, like, the Eggplant Farmers Council is going to have to be like, not to be used as a suppository.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Oscar Isaac, who I don't know who that is. Yes, you do. Do I?
2: He's Inside uh, Lewin Davis, he was on uh, Star-, Star Wars. Poe po, yeah. po from the new Star Wars.
0: I didn't see that. Oh. Yeah, still, I don't know who he, he is. He was the
2: guy that when he w- he was filming a movie in Pittsburgh and he was trying out, he was auditioning to do Inside Lewin Davis where he played a folk singer in that Coen Brothers movie and he was, uh, so he went to Club Cafe for the open mic night and Zoob was running it and he said to him, he's like, hey, how about if I uh, get up there and do two songs and he's like, that's not how it works, man. He's like, uh, you know, you get one song and you got to get in line and he's like, yeah, how about if I go up there and I sing one song, and if I'm good, you let me stay for two, okay? I'm I got a I got a big audition coming up, and Zoob's like, "Yeah, sorry, man, <laughs> I I don't know who you are. You only get one uh, song. I'm Oscar Isaac. So He's like, he was.
3: Mm, you're still too new for me to care who that is. And, like
2: and he wasn't. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, unknown at the time, and he was super pissed that he like sang a song and like stormed off. Apparently, <laughs> if this is post episode seven, then
1: yes, two songs are in <laughs> yeah. order. Right.
0: Well, Oscar Isaac and Charlize Theron will lead the Adams Family in an upcoming animated film. It'll show how the new Morticia and Gomez met and started their family. The rest of the cast includes uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as Wednesday, Finn Wolford as Pugsley, Nick Kroll as Uncle Fester, and Bette Midler as Grandmama. Uh, Alison Janney will voice the family's new antagonist, Margot Needler. It's set for release in October of next year.
2: Nick Kroll will be a good Uncle Fester, but he's—I I know he's going to give him like the old Jewish guy, uh, like voice, like he mm-hmm. does the Point gym, Holt. Yeah. the gym, or the gym coach in uh, Big Mouth. If you've ever watched that cartoon on Netflix, uh, Kroll's—he's remarkably funny. There's no doubt about it. God dang, is he getting a lot of work too? It's I mean, crazy. he's all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, his dad is super wealthy. Like, Kroll Security Systems is, like, one of the big, um, uh, like, security outfits for, like, in New York. I don't know. He grew up, like, um, with a lot of money, which is not usually where, like, rich or, like, funny people come from. Right. See,
3: I I sort of disagree with, because John Mulaney was, like, came from a very well-to-do family. I think it's probably a little bit all over the spectrum, but I think if you're rich, you have less things to worry about, so you have more time to ruminate. Yes. Maybe. And, like, you can... Sit there with your, you develop your. Instead of having real problems, you have to nitpick the world, and so that I think
2: that may might actually help uh, the cause. Julia Louis Dreyfus is the other one who came from big, big dollars, rich comedians.
0: Well, her name sounds kind of rich.
3: Julia Louis Dreyfus, and
1: she's had a remarkable career.
0: Yeah, but then
3: conversely, Richard Pryor grew up in a whorehouse, so (laughs) there's really no formula, I don't think. No, no.
0: Michael Anthony Mm -hmm. performed Van Halen's jump with the School of Rock Band at the Children's Hospital L.A. Walk and Play L.A. fundraiser over the weekend. He said, uh, quote, I want to thank everyone who donated through me to the hospital. I can't tell you how much it means to our family. He took part in memory of his grandson, Rex, who died of heart disease last year. Upper 60s today with partly sunny skies. It's 48 at DVE. 48, that's it? Yes. Kind of feels nice. A little nippy. Uh, I would be wearing my winter coat if I could find it.
2: You
3: are wearing a big one <laughs> right now. You look like you're about to go fight on the snow planet and Empire
0: Strikes Back, <laughs> I think. It's the only way I can be warm in here.
2: Mr. Wednesday, Jeff Conkles. With you
5: it. shake
0: at his touch and you tremble at what
5: he might say. The creepy song. And you're looking for Mr. Wednesday.
2: Well, you found him. Here I am. Yes, you're looking for Mr. Wednesday. Mr. Wednesday, Jeff Conkle hanging out. What's going on, man?
3: Uh, not too much. We, uh, Bill and I, were just talking on the on the way in about just the life and choices of being a stand-up comedian, it's, and why we do it, and how many times we quit during the year. I was just telling Bill that, like, yesterday, I had to go leave to go to a bar gig and I was outside in my backyard playing with my my son and we're playing t-ball and you know he's getting really good at t-ball and i'm seeing the sunset and the birds are chirping a couple turkeys were walking by in our backyard and it just felt like the zenith of summer and i was like all right i gotta go tell uh, six minutes of new jokes to people that i don't know i was like why (laughs) am i doing this to myself and my family what is going on with me there's something horribly
2: wrong here I some sort of glutton for pain why it's weird, but I would I would imagine that you also realize that if you ha- haven't been, at least up to this point, leaving to do those six minutes of jokes, that you would never have the serenity uh, to be able to appreciate the turkeys in the backyard. Yeah, the maybe that's setting and yeah. everything.
3: That's a healthy way of looking at it. I feel like it's more of a, a willful abandoning. I, I feel like... Uh, uh, What's Daniel day Lewis's character in there? I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my child!
4: (laughs) That's what I feel like as
3: I'm driving to, you know, wherever the hell. Was it at least fulfilling? No, no, it wasn't fulfilling. No, it's It's, horrible. This is is the... the, To paint the picture for uh, anyone doing or thinking about getting into stand-up comedy, you basically have to take whatever gig, especially when you're starting out, you have to take whatever gig people throw at you, and rarely is it a, an appropriate comedy setting. You'll get a call, you know, some guy will be pitching you a gig, and you'll be like, what's that? The loading dock of an Office Max in Bridgeville? Yeah, sure, we can do comedy there. Like, what's the pay? Nothing? Sure, oh, let's do that. Okay, Why not? good. I get some reward points, some reams of paper? Yeah. But you have to do it. You have to get, because no one's going to pay you to be on stage at a professional environment. You have to cut your teeth at these, uh, at the strange uh, settings, so... You remember the shows
1: we used to do at Sunny gyms where it was outside, and they had us performing on, like, this terrace? We had to perform on top of a retaining wall. It was on top (laughs) of a retaining wall, and the only lighting was, like, that up lighting that they have in landscaping. Like, it was just... I'm telling you, like you know how the like most
3: comedy stages have like a brick wall as a background. Like this place had mulch and azaleas. That was like <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was basically the background. And you're always springing a comedy show on people, and they're usually not excited about it at well, all. Well, that's what happened last
3: night. Is that there was a uh, some like white reggae band, I guess, was playing at uh, Highmark the the stadium, and the gig was at, at Station Square over at Buckheads, which is a good venue for it. And we usually get a, a pretty good crowd, but I walked in and instead of seeing, you know, like 60 people like we normally see on a Wednesday, there was like 600 people there. And so they immediately, all look like John Jason. <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah, there a lot of sandals uh, going on over there. But I was just like, this kind of is bad because I know as soon as we start talking, 90% of the people that are here are going to be irritated and leave. I was like, that's just a bad crowd. Conflict like starting right yeah. out of the gate, but the it, as the concert went on, they started to move out. And we had fun with the last the, the last little bit of people, but that's
2: just what it, what it is. I like how you said white reggae band with derision. Like it's important to note this was a white reggae band, as if to say not really authentic. No. This was uh, some suburbanite dudes. Well, who liked Sublime
0: reggae? <laughs> I
3: feel like is like soccer in America. In that I don't believe that you actually like it. I just don't <laughs> I think you're full of crap and I think I don't know if you're just trying to be different or something like that but that's how I feel about the people who like bump reggae is that's 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 my take on it. Well, it's like the blues. It's an easy
2: music to reach the starting level. So you can be like, "Hey, we're a blues band, we know three chords." Yeah. <laughs> and with reggae you can know two. And you as long as you know how to do that reggae beat Dun. Yeah, that's it.
4: You
3: can do that over and over. Well, the problem I think I have with it, really, is that I'm such a high-strung, like, type A personality is that when I see people, like, just chillaxing, it makes me resent them horribly. (laughs)
4: Like, hey,
3: don't worry about anything. I'm like, what do you mean, don't worry about anything? There's plenty of things to worry about. I'll take some of your worries, just since you're
2: not taking care of them. Give them to me. (laughs) Uh, Yesterday, uh, it was reported the... uh, the the obituary that has everybody talking out of Minnesota, Kathleen Demlow died on May 31st. And an obituary that read uh, that ran in the Red Falls, Minnesota Gazette uh, has uh, raised some eyebrows and some people are a little upset with the way it was worded. Now I am under the opinion that, you know what, if you die, and you pissed everybody off. This is the price you pay. You can't just leave all kinds of smoke in your wake with lives devastated and then kick off and expect them to run a glowing obituary. But uh, this woman's who for some reason is not listed on this uh, news story that I have. Okay, here it is. And I don't know why this went so crazy. It got snoped, by the way. Oh, and. just to
3: double check. Okay. Yeah. So is
2: it real? Uh yeah, I guess it is it is real. Um Kathleen sorry. This is well this would be, basically be the equivalent
3: last... of like like, you know, someone writing an obituary of Henry Clay Frick and just being like,
2: This guy was a real son of a bitch, you know. <laughs> the obituary <laughs> starts dead. out conventionally enough, noting her birth in nineteen thirty eight and marriage in nineteen fifty seven to Dennis Demlo in Wabasso. In Wabasso, Um, every town in Minnesota sounds hilarious to me. And the (laughs) arrival of children, Gina and Jay. What's said next is what attracted the attention of all these tabloids. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, (laughs) who were then raised by her parents. Oh, yeah. She also had an affair with her husband's brother. Uh, So they put that all in the obituary. And then it concludes by saying, she will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Wow. Well, look, she, okay, horrible mother, horrible wife, great sister in law. <laughs> is it the only thing you could have really put in there? It seems like the behaviors
3: of
1: one would translate to the other, but okay. Yeah, and uh, really uncomfortable
2: Thanksgivings in that family. It got tons of complaints. People were super pissed that the paper ran it. So it was unfair to the lady. That's because
3: well, everyone that is resonating with that thinks, oh, I've done some messed up stuff <laughs> in my life. I don't want my man. kids flaming me yep. at the at the tail end. Somebody needs to be at the back end <laughs> filtering out uh any any uh anything that I'm not gonna like. Yeah, they're working the refs for
2: the next call. One relative, Dwight Demlo, told the Minneapolis Star Tribune that the facts in the obituary are true, but there's a lot of stuff that's missing. She made a mistake 60 years ago, but who hasn't? Has she regretted it over the years? Yes. Something tells me Dwight's the guy that she was bad. Yeah. as possible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm the brother-in-law. <laughs> Dwight said he determined Tuesday that Jay is behind the obituary. He is very upset. He decided to go out with hate. I can't believe he did this. This is going to hurt a lot of people. So... When you first read it, I mean, didn't you think like, oh, this is an awful woman that everyone agreed was terrible? Yeah. At least our kids anyway. Yeah. It might be just her son. What if
3: everyone else (laughs) had come to terms with it? Well, see, that's kind of the problem that I have with it is that it's basically there's there's no uh, rebuttal, you know, there's no rebuttal that can be made at this point. So, you know, it could be that this kid is a terrible son and they just had a lot of disagreements. He was just able to get the last word in. And
2: now that's what's going to hold up for posterity. I'm glad uh, this story is out there now, though, because I uh, I really enjoyed showing this to my dad because it <laughs> really up, Dad. it's, it's exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Just to let you know, we get the last word. Yeah, you y- think you do. But you don't. You better pay for a dinner
1: here coming up pretty soon. Meanwhile, he call, He probably called the Erie County Times and just already wrote his obit. <laughs> no, himself. dude. That's... He did.
2: Oh, I know. <laughs> like, he flat out has... Because one of his, his best friends works at the Erie Daily Times, and he's constantly telling him, uh, make sure this is in there. I want this in there. You know, like stuff he did. Make yeah. sure they don't, you know... He he wants his Navy career highlighted and all this stuff. And his buddy's like, your dad's obsessed with his obituary. He's always telling me to make sure this stuff is in there. And I'm like, he for sure has it written out, several drafts, I guarantee you. <laughs> do, do you just get dibs on your obituary? Is like whoever submits it
3: first gets gets it in there? Or do they have to take a blend? Like if three people write an obituary, how does that right. work? Yeah. I, don't, I think the family just agrees yeah. one person's going to submit it.
0: Normally, yeah. Uh...
3: Well, it doesn't sound like there's much agreement in that family.
0: And if if this kid wanted to do it, shouldn't somebody have stepped in and say, "Uh, uh we know how you feel about her." Yeah. yeah, Maybe somebody else should do it.
3: Write it in your diary and then crumple it up and throw it in the trash.
4: He's yeah. like, "No,
1: I'm gonna put out a pusha tea level diss <laughs> track <laughs> on mom before she hits the pearly gates." <laughs> it was push a pusha T before He's the grass grows on her other grave. Kids that she, has. oh my god, affairs. It's that just she's too had.
3: far. Doesn't this freak you out though, as a parent? Because like you never know when you're going to screw up, and you you just are hoping that the screw ups that you have don't like have some sort of diagnosable uh, psychosis associated with it later in life. And it sounds like whatever this lady did just hit just really wrong place, wrong time, wrong decision, and then yep. that's
2: what we get for for all of eternity. I guarantee you, though, with today's modern media news cycle, we are going to learn way more about this woman than we ever wanted to. She's going to be the Ken Bone of the afterlife. <laughs> this, <laughs> this story is not going to go away, I'm guessing. Um, all right. When we come back, Mike Pursuta with a quick sports update for you. And uh, a little bit later on this morning, Edzo talking uh, um, Belmont. And uh, Mark Madden will be in. I'm sure he's really uh, in a great mood about the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, Sean Rodriguez, (laughs) who is his, like, if, God forbid, Madden gets to write Rodriguez's biography or uh, obit one day. (laughs) Um, Or Ian Coles. Yes.
1: (laughs) Either of those two guys. Unlikely,
2: that'll be the the timeline of of things that occur there. But uh, also, Michelle Rubino from The Wrecking Crew, the world famous Wrecking Crew um, recording studio house band basically that recorded thousands and thousands of hits life in the key rubini is his new uh uh book and we're going to talk with michelle coming up eight forty-five. so all that still to come dv dve sports mike masuda has your sports right now on the dve morning show mike
5: sports this hour brought to you by xfinity from comcast both the dodgers and the pirates got seven hits last night at pnc park the difference was that Three of the Dodgers' hits left the yard. <laughs> Jock Peterson, Yasiel Puig, and Cody Bellinger all reaching the seats in what became a 5 nothing Dodgers win over the Pirates. It started with great promise for Joe Musgrove, who was making his third start with the Bucs and struck out the side in the first inning. I think he needed 14 pitches to do that. But things kind of degenerated from there. Musgrove wound wound up going five innings. Six hits, four runs, three of them earned one walk, five Ks. He allowed two home runs. Tyler Glass now was reached for the third. Musgrove falls to two and one. His ERA jumps to 1.86. 12,879, your listed attendance at PNC Park. I was there for a while. It was uh, scattered at best. Do you
1: think
3: that's the wow. floor
5: though like right around
3: like 11,000 like no matter what is going on baseball wise in that ballpark like they'll probably
1: get about 11,000 people.
5: Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with how many season tickets they sold. Oh, uh, yeah. They're counting those. Uh Oh, yeah. Yeah, cuz
1: I was watching the game last night, Mike, it didn't look
5: like there was 12,000 there. No, I I was guessing 7 or 8. Um now it did rain, but the Did they count the dogs? They should. They should <laughs> okay. count them twice because they have four legs. <laughs> number of legs uh, <laughs> under the turnstiles. It was raining, but the the reports were that it was going to clear up, and it did. And that didn't seem to be, you know, I waited it out in the bar across the street and then went to the game, and it was a nice night. And uh, what few people that were there, in the fifth inning, uh, the Pirates loaded the bases and didn't score, and that sent uh, a large uh, number to the exits. It was about yeah. quarter to ten by then. So. Yeah, game started and then, late. And, yeah. and You had seen enough if you were paying attention. That's the way it was going to go.
1: The Pirates are scoring less than a zitty teenager with halitosis. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like I haven't seen them score a
5: run in a couple games. Gregory Polanco did hit a home run foul out of PNC Park.
1: Hey, that's something. Was, There's that. It
5: was, it was majestic. Don't know if it reached the river. Cleared the fence. 30 and 30 now are the Pirates who started the season 4 and0 and were 26 and 17 on May 17th they have fallen to 500 by losing 13 of 17. Trevor Williams tonight five and three with a 3.84 ERA against Caleb Ferguson who will be making his major league debut for the Dodgers they've got four starting pitchers on uh, the disabled list and they're going to be throwing whatever they can find at the Pirates the next two nights I don't know, be a fair fight. Wow. The pirates offense right now against some guy who's never pitched in the bigs before. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> well, they yeah. The good news
1: is the lumber company's a little waterlogged at the moment. You kind of knew that the bats were gonna go quiet at some point, and you thought maybe the pitching might be there to kinda pick you up a little bit
5: and it just hasn't it's either bad starting or bad relieving and uh 13 of 17 on the wrong end uh the vegas golden knights and washington capitals are getting ready for game five of the stanley cup final on thursday night in vegas gerard gallant the knights head coach talking yesterday about washington's east west passes and all the backdoor plays that the capitals have been able to execute in achieving a three games to one Seriously, lead, uh, says Gallant, quote, we've got to cover the guy without the puck. You've got to give your goalie a chance to make those saves. On those plays, there was no chance for him to make those saves. And uh, in terms of adjustments, Gallant said that there are some adjustments his team can make. Quote, sure, play better defensively. There's too many guys staring at the puck carrier, and we're leaving the backside open too much. Make sure we're paying attention to guys behind the puck and away from the puck. Mark will make the save on the guy shooting the puck.
3: It has seemed like that the last two games that I watched mm-hmm. is that there's always some sort of like blown assignment or something like that, and Vegas is just shaking their heads afterwards
5: because they know they screwed up. I think that cross-crease stuff's been there all series, and they haven't adjusted to it yet. That's, Washington is uh, skilled at that, and they, I'm a little surprised they haven't converted more than they have. There's been that much open they got to
1: put the actual Knight in the lineup tonight with the
2: sword. Well, there are 3-1 deficits that seem surmountable and those that seem like it's a fait accompli, and this one seems like it's been going downhill for the the Golden Knights ever since Game 1.
5: I would agree, although their start was really good in Game 4, and if they can get a similar start and this time don't hit the post three times, bang a couple in, get a lead at home. And and see if you can get yourself through Game Five. Then the dynamic can change again. I'm not saying it's gonna, but well, nothing would make me
3: happier than to just hear the clenching that goes on with a Capitals loss tonight. A Capitals mm-hmm. two two losses is not
1: just asking forcing, too much. Forcing a Game Six or Seven would be nice.
2: That is the rosy way to look at it. That if you if you want the Capitals to suffer. You are now at the point where they would receive their greatest amount of suffering as a fan base. They are on the precipice of a world championship, a Stanley Cup uh, uh, coming to to D.C., Ovechkin getting to hoist it. All of the things you don't want to see, all the things their fans have been dying to see, and it could be yanked away from them just as he's about to have it handed. It's theoretically possible. Or that's if, all i'm asking that's for. right that's a, that that's the lone yeah. so you're saying, you're saying there's a chance yeah. it's like well
5: if nothing else toward that end let's say vegas wins game five it's not impossible right <laughs> so now it's three two going back to dc for game six if you're a caps fan
3: how yeah. are,
5: are you anticipating winning the cup at home or are you thinking oh my god it's happening again and oh, what if we lose game six and then we gotta go back to their mm-hmm. place for game seven, and then we'll blow to three one lead.
2: It's gonna be a tough uh I think it's a tough W tonight, but Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, I'm sorry. But still. Fourth one they say is the toughest.
1: Well, Doc brought up a great point. He was saying, you know, th- this franchise has had not a good record in the in the series being up and this and that, and he said, but this isn't they're not a franchise. This is an actual team. Yeah. And this team
5: has has shown incredible grit this year and they always and come back and they have been different, but it's not finished yet. And I just that six two game, everybody I think, is is looking at that score. Vegas had to puck a lot that night and had some glorious chances. And even it was four nothing at one point, And uh the Knights got it back to four to two with about seven and a half minutes yeah. left, which isn't ideal, but you're still... Showed some gumption. Kinda, yeah. They, and then they... I don't know why they gooned it up at the end. I guess that's, you know, following the old-school Canadian playbook. But uh, it it can turn, and and sometimes it does. But Washington is playing with great confidence, and they seem to have the Knights figured out. The Capitals do, and their goalie's playing really well, and their stars are playing really well. And we shall see. Uh the NBA Finals uh, switches to Cleveland tonight. It's uh, Golden State at Cleveland, up two games to none. That's a 9 o'clock start on ABC. And uh, more fun with the reaction to the Donald Trump-Philadelphia Eagles fiasco. The uh, Philadelphia Inquirer continuing to get reaction to Trump disinviting the Eagles to the celebrate the Super Bowl ceremony at the White House after the Eagles had made it clear that almost nobody was going to attend anyway. <laughs> Oh, you won't date me, screw you. I'm not asking you out. Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. you know what
1: it felt like yesterday? It felt like some like the husband got a tip off that his wife was going to leave him at the altar and then he canceled the wedding, but you know, still had the fire hall reserved and the catering down payment wasn't <laughs> refundable. So he goes, "Hey, eh, you know what? Forget it. We'll still have the party." And it was better than
5: we ever could have imagined, especially since you weren't there.
2: Yeah, uh, but it, it seemed more like that was the plan. And then about a third of the way through the party, he just quit on the idea. Like, nah, nobody came. This, sucked. All right. this <laughs> sounded better in theory than it did in practice, actually.
5: Former uh, Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell says of Trump, quote, if he's using this to gain political advantage, shame on him.
2: <laughs> if.
5: Ed Rendell referencing shame. Yeah. Oh,
3: <laughs> Well, if I'm Trump, I'm uh, you know he's gonna have to ride around Philly next time he has to visit in, like a Pope mobile because I got a feeling there's gonna be a couple C batteries getting lobbed <laughs> his way. <laughs>
4: right.
5: We'd heard a tweet from uh, U.S. Representative Brendan Boyle yesterday that was uh, critical of Trump. He adds another one uh, today. "Quote: Trump wasn't welcome at Barbara Bush's funeral. He's not welcome at John McCain's funeral. And only ten Eagles players were planning to attend the White House ceremony. He's just that much of an embarrassment." John McCain. Did he die?
1: No, he. But he's basically. I was saying just in general. Very, okay,
5: yeah. <laughs> I was like,
3: "That's breaking news." I missed that one. I'll he's be the, planning uh, his yeah. funeral. He, he, he may not there, have written you. his
2: own obit, but he yeah. is planning the guest list.
5: It's amazing to me that th- this is causing all this vitriol—not uh, not uh, everything that has happened prior to this. It's, it's called the distraction, Mike. Yeah, it's do a curveball in the dirt, and everybody's swinging at it.
3: Do you think also that? I mean, Philly, of all people, is kind of showing they got a little thin skin here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's coming from a very high office, but they don't necessarily have the best track record of being nice hosts to anybody <laughs> either. So kind of takes one to know one here. Yeah.
5: Pot. Kettle.
1: Yeah. No, how if you, you want to get down in the mud and mix it up, Philly's the perfect place. <laughs> right, Mike? <laughs> the
2: birth of democracy. It is that. Meet the death of democracy. Did we really think they were going to get along, Mike? It's come full circle. They were. A, a reporter from Philly.com went around asking people who were at the half-hearted ceremony there yesterday, in which Trump kind of knew four or five words to God bless America and still tried to sing it. Uh, he's asking who uh, the Eagles fans were, and he was trying to get them to name Eagles players, and he didn't find any. And I didn't know why that was it. Why would you go out? Did you think Eagles fans were showing up to that? To not see the Eagles? It was clearly, everybody get out of the White House. Everybody, like, (laughs) get out on the lawn. (laughs) It was a fire drill.
0: Go over to Papa John's and drag some people over here. They made this
2: big deal out of it. Like, can you believe there were no actual Eagles fans there? Did you think there was going to be? Yeah, he sort of made it clear they weren't
5: going to be there. So that was a dream. I mean, yeah.
3: We used to try to pull that in college too, because this is when the McNabb era Eagles were like always kind of sniffing around the Super Bowl, and right. Ben was too. So there was a little bit of a rivalry. But since I went to Penn State, it was all these. Oh, it was always horrible. who knew more about the team, and it was oh, can you name your offensive lineman? And like that was it was a very uh, juvenile and really pointless way of of going about can that. You,
2: can you imagine somebody in Pittsburgh not knowing the offensive lineman?
3: Oh yeah. Yes. Really? I don't know that I could name all five of them now. I think Got I could it. get three out of five right now. I bet. God, I feel oh, like you could do better than
4: that.
0: During the season, you would be able to. Yeah, during but the right season, it's, it's a little like far you're removed. But not thinking about it. it off left to right.
3: Okay, wait, left. Or, let me just. I'm just going to go in no particular order. Uh, DeCastro, Castro, Pouncy, uh, Villanueva, and then it starts to get a little shifty from there. Uh, a
0: gray area.
3: <laughs> I know this is wrong, Something but I'm just going to go with
1: Ramon Foster because
3: <laughs> I know you go. Yeah, there there you go. Go. Yeah. he's still on there. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: um, let's see. Marvell Smith. No. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs>
3: and Alan Fanica, obviously, is yeah. still on the team. So. Gilbert. Oh, Mark Gilbert,
2: yeah, yeah. Gilbert. <laughs> All right, Val's got news top of the hour. More with Jeff Conkle coming up. It is the DVE Morning Show. Randy Bauman along with Val Porter, Bill Crawford, and Jeff Conkle, Mr. Wednesday is uh, hanging out with us as well. And uh, yesterday, in primary voting in California, 118,000 names were left off the ballot in Los Angeles in what they're calling a computer glitch. Glitch. So already... Monty was one of them. And Henry Winkler was one of them. So he tweets out last night, the Fonz, Henry Winkler, uh, I was one of the names left off the register in Los Angeles County. And if you look at all of the responses to that, all of the comments to his tweet, every other one says, did you just hit the side of the machine with your fist and did it work again? <laughs> Everybody made a happy days reference and it made me laugh so hard. I just kept scrolling down and and hundreds of people are liking them and it's the same joke over and over and over again. And here he was trying to make a serious point about his dismay with what's happening, and uh, all anybody can do is go, hey, why don't you call uh, the Malachi brothers to come over? (laughs)
3: I have to say that my opponents have no strong policy on shark ramps whatsoever, (laughs) and I'm the only person with the experience necessary to jump the (laughs) loss. He...
2: He's like, no, guys, no, guys, this is serious. They're like, hey, hey why don't you call uh, your cousin Spike to go in and vote for you? <laughs> a photographer from Florida is telling the world she has found Jesus on the back of a horseshoe crab. Hmm. Once again, <laughs> it's always where you least expect it. People find images of Jesus. Kathy Rader says her friend found a horseshoe crab shell while they were walking on New Smyrna Beach and gave it to her. I looked at it, and I said, thank you very much. And I took it home and washed it out, and I set it on my front porch to dry, she said. Then a few days later, she did a double take. I was doing devotionals that I do in the morning. This is a very religious woman. She says, God spoke to me and said, if you will wait. I'm in the ball. Will- <laughs> I'm over here. I'm in the crib. <laughs> I will give you Perfection. So God spoke to her. That's when she turned around and saw the image of Jesus on a crab shell. The very one that she had washed off and placed decoratively on her patio. I went past it and I noticed something, and I looked back, and it looked like the face of Jesus. I kind of chuckled to myself and I go, It's funny. Huh? It looks like Jesus on a crab. <laughs> she says the image on the shell doesn't look like any Jesus. Specifically, specifically, uh, it looks like the head of Christ Rembrandt painted in 1648. So she's got it down real to wow. specific. She's wow. got a, yeah. Yeah. This is a specific research. era. Deep reference point. This is like, you know, it's like saying like, it's like more of like a Val Kilmer bat. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> he made a good Emmanuel, just a terrible Jesus. Like that was,
2: that was always the, <laughs> I just feel so humbled. She says about her Jesus crab. After I saw his face (laughs) and I Googled the Rembrandt painting, I go, oh, my gosh, that's a face. She posted photos on Facebook in an album titled Holy Crab. Very funny. (laughs) And the images have now gone viral. She says she Uh, every day she prays that her photography book gets published. She has a book of photography and she believes this is the message of hope from God that she needed. It was shown to me when it was supposed to be shown to me, you know, a few days later. So I just kind of kept it quiet for a little bit just to enjoy it, to enjoy him, him being the Jesus. faint image of what wow. she thinks is the Rembrandt Christ on a crab shell. She decided to share her gift with the new Smyrna Beach Regional Library, where the horseshoe crab shell is now on display. <laughs> Even the people who who don't believe say, well, that looks like the pictures of Jesus I've seen. So maybe it'll help with people's faith. I hope so. I hope so.
4: You know,
3: when the Lamb of God reveals himself to you and is offering eternal salvation, what more reverent way to trumpet and herald his arrival Then putting up a Facebook page called Holy Crab <laughs> You are looking salvation in the eyes according to you and you just throw it up there for Zuckerberg to sell you ads for Mazdas on.
0: It's always Joe's
2: Crab Shack. Do you remember coupons. years ago there was a there was a window pane in Brookline. Yep. And, uh, was it a
0: window pane or a shower? Why do I? Why do I? thought it was a, a window pane. I
2: remember because we did a song called "Divine Money Making Shrine" in Brookline, and it was <laughs> it, because it was just about how people at the time it seemed like there were a lot of them. There were all of these. I found Jesus on a
0: bagel, a piece of toast.
2: Yeah, uh, the p- toast was the big one, and it sold. That's what it was. The piece of toast sold at auction at that. What was the dot com that uh, boxers used to? Oh, Golden Palace. Yeah, GoldenPalace.com. Didn't one guy have like a tattoo on his back? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, GoldenPalace.com bought that the Jesus toast for like an exorbitant amount. But the people who find these things are never. It's never like William F Buckley isn't like you're never gonna believe what I (laughs) found. Uh, I, dude, I always feel like if that happened to me, I would be freaked out because
3: I'd be like, well, here comes early onset schizophrenia. Like that, there's. That yep. I, I wouldn't see it as a like a holy event. I'd be like, I need to get on some lithium immediately. Something is wrong with my brain.
2: I'm seeing the Lord in a grilled cheese. Well, I think if you're a holy person, you probably see Jesus all over the place. Maybe. And yeah. If you're not a holy person, you probably wouldn't have looked uh, or devout. Wouldn't even recognize You wouldn't it. have looked at that crab and been like... I'm freaked out right now. There's Jesus on a crab. But the one in Brookline, they oh, had... God. This this grilled cheese looks like Jim Caviezel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. It was Jesus grilled cheese.
0: There, there have been Gril- many. Grilled cheese.
2: Grilled Jesus, yeah. The one in Brookline, though, it was on a window pane. I'm pretty sure, Val. And they had a line of people. It became an attraction. And people were going to see it. Please tell me someone charged money to go see it. There were people selling stuff outside. And
1: that's, I'm glad it wasn't at my house because my daughters would just be finger paint, like just <laughs> licking the window. Yeah. And, uh,
2: oh God, you got fingerprints all over the Lord. The other thing is though, nobody ever finds, it's always Jesus. You never find, uh, you know, Buddha, Buddha on a strudel. <laughs> right. Ganesh on a pita. Like <laughs> these things never happen. It's only Jesus that we find. It's a very American thing to find Jesus on food. That is true.
1: It, maybe it's saying something about our diet. <laughs> Too much bread. He, he's on pitas. He's on bagels. He's on toast. He's on grilled cheese. What are we doing with the wheat
3: in this country? Amber feels
1: a grain. It's getting oh, a
3: little look, out of found control. Jesus
1: on this sticky
2: bun.
0: Yeah, it's never kale. No, no. Or tangerines. Yeah, it's
2: just all bad things. <laughs> I found St. John in my chili fries. (laughs) Um, So at any rate, if you want to see it, you can go on Facebook because it's been shared a billion times. It has already gone viral. There's the picture for those of you guys uh, in the room. who can see. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's a stretch.
3: Wow. That's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, On that old rugged. I would have been like just hollow
2: sunken (laughs) eyes. That's all it looks like to me. If I would have seen that, I'd have been like, oh, my God. That's Turge Sanction from System of a Down on a crab. I don't know. How do you say that guy? Turge whatever yeah, his
3: name
1: is. Close. I don't know. Turge Sancanian.
2: Sankanian. <laughs> he's on a crab.
0: He's not a crab.
2: Val's got news next.
0: Uh, I'm gonna tell you why Viagra ended one marriage. Jeff Conkle,
3: Mr. Wednesday, what do you got coming up? I'm going on Father's Day. Uh, I'm going to be down at the arcade theater. Uh, Aaron Claver and Jason Clark who do a lot of the stand up work down there. They're putting together like a a, a parents uh, stand up show. So basically, oh, it's, a, it's basically all the a lot of uh, you know local comedians that have kids. So we're trying to get the word out. Start getting sitters now. I just uh,
1: realized that I forgot to respond to that.
3: Well, there might be a guest edition okay. with Bill Crawford potentially. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but they're doing a a, a a podcast. They do a grown dad business. Those two guys, which is a funny podcast. And then uh, we're gonna have a stand up show uh, right after that. So be yeah, nice. a full full tilt packed uh, packed weekend next
2: weekend at Arcade Comedy Arcade, Theater. Yeah. Okay, and tickets available at the box office at the website arcadecomedytheater.com. dot com. Good deal. Uh, Later this morning, Edzo talks about the Belmont, and we'll talk a little Stanley Cup uh, as well. Also, Michelle Rubini from The Wrecking Crew, the legendary group of musicians that recorded hundreds upon hundreds of hits in the 60s. His new book, Life in the Key, Rubini. We'll talk with him. 845 Double M. Mark Madden closes out the
0: show. 48 degrees at I'm Val Porter, the White House employee who mocked Republican icon John McCain is out of a job. Communications aide Kelly Sadler no longer works for the Trump administration. Sadler came under fire after saying at a staff meeting that McCain's opposition to a Trump nomination didn't really matter because McCain was dying anyway.
2: Is is that the reason she got fired? I don't I just keep seeing she, she was dismissed from the White House but
0: you'd think if it was that it would have been a, a while ago but I, right. I, I don't know what else, what other stupid thing she did to get fired.
2: She forgot to tape Fox and Friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the death toll from the destructive Fuego volcano in Guatemala has risen to 75, with close to 200 people still missing. The volcano erupted on Sunday, then exploded again yesterday. It is the volcano's largest eruption since 1974. Have you read anything about
2: this particular volcano?
0: Uh, I've just seen a couple news reports. I've it, seen right, some and, footage, depth, and it yeah. looks
2: terrifying. It's. Way more dangerous than the one in Hawaii. The one in Hawaii, like you saw people like walking up near like the flow of lava, like, you know, a block away and taking pictures and stuff. This one is like shards of glass are raining down from it. The The lava moves at half the speed of light.
0: When it explodes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And That's when it fast. hits water, it picks up speed. So it is just destroying stuff. So. I read this like thread from some like volcano expert and she's like, people don't understand. You're looking at these pictures of that Guatemalan hurricane and there's death everywhere in that picture. Mm-hmm. But you you don't understand it. There's dead people everywhere. Yeah. Like she said that this was completely misunderstood and people think like it's kind of like one of those. Well, just get away from it. Lava. She said ev- the whole country should have been just sprinting for their lives and uh that's not the reaction apparently that has been occurring down there. The yeah, earth, remember
1: I uh, I showed you guys a uh, like a a little video of that and you were like did that that didn't just happen, did it? It's crazy. I was like, uh, is this a
0: thing that's going on right now? Has had enough. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein's lawyer says he, he may seek two separate trials for his client, the disgraced movie mogul is accused of raping a woman in 2013 in a Manhattan hotel room and forcing former actress Lucia Evans to perform a sex act in his Tribeca office in 2004. He pleaded not guilty yesterday at his arraignment, and lawyer Ben Brafman says he is considering filing a motion to separate the cases. The 66-year-old remains free on a million dollars bail wearing an electronic ankle bracelet. Drop former- him
1: in the volcano. Yeah, please.
0: Former President Bill Clinton says his Today Show comments about his 1995 affair with former White House intern Monica Lewinsky were not his finest hour.
6: When I saw the interview, I thought that because they had to, you know, distill it and it looked like I was saying I didn't apologize and I had no intention to and I was mad at me.
2: That's not what it sounded like. That's not that's not what happened there, Billy.
0: Clinton told Stephen Colbert last night he recognized his responses during the Today Show interview, struck some as combative. Uh, Clinton told Colbert the interview started with an assertion that he had never apologized.
6: That was a very painful thing that happened uh, 20 years ago. And I apologized to my family, to Monica, once again, her family, to the American people. I'm in it then. I'm in it now. I've had to live with the consequences every day since.
0: God, he sounds old.
2: And, uh, and he's uh, not
0: that parched. old.
2: I think he's... Just, 70-ish? I think, he's, I think he has throat issues, which is ironic. But I... I I, I just can't believe what a politician he remains like. Oh, right? always. The way he characterized that just completely <laughs> reset it. He's like, you know what? I watched it. And of course, they had to edit it and stuff. So it looked like I said uh, I had no intention of apologizing and I hadn't apologized. It's like, no, that's not what it looked like. It looked like you said you didn't apologize to her and you just said you apologized to the world and you yelled at the guy for bringing it up. And then this hashtag Me Too era, a lot of people need to sort of revisit that and there needs to be some revisionist history in how he is perceived because I think a lot of people uh, on the left had blind spots for Bill Clinton and thought, oh, this is just all ginned up. Like, if that was happening right now, it would not be looked
7: at that way.
0: yeah
2: and to val's point like how do you not
7: have
1: something prepared for that question you, always you know it's coming up
0: forever for even if the even if the me too movement didn't exist and that we you know the atmosphere wasn't different today how do you not that was like a huge thing
2: but part of what pisses people off when they say liberal media is he didn't have to answer that question people would never have asked him about it nobody had the balls to ever bring that up again once it was like adjudicated everyone thought okay well you know the late night hosts make jokes about it but we don't need to bring up this unseemliness again but now all we traffic in is unseemliness (laughs) it is our regular diet So nobody's afraid to go there right now. And he probably wasn't prepared for that, you know, new environment, though. He definitely should have been. He should have been prepared for the fact that every reporter is going to ask him about that stuff now. And you got to have a better answer than no answer and be combative. He can go away on a long walk with Hillary through the woods wearing matching muumus and I'd be okay with it.
0: (laughs) Uh, An ambitious Frenchman is beginning a swim he hopes will make him the first person ever to swim all the way across the world's biggest ocean. Ben LeComte dove into the Pacific off Tokyo yesterday on a nearly 5,600-mile swim to San Francisco. The 51-year-old adventurer and environmentalist hopes to raise awareness of plastic contamination and ocean pollution. He is accompanied by a 65 foot support boat where he will eat and rest and sleep. He plans to swim eight hours a day. He swam across the Atlantic 20 years ago.
1: That's just insane. Wow. The amount of sunburnt, like skin and
0: remember jellyfish stings. Diana Nyad several times did it or tried to do it. Yeah. I just remember her lips always being super white. I don't know if it was from the salt water. or She that never looked healthy. Kind of, yeah.
2: <laughs> she looked like the
1: personification of Bill Clinton's throat. <laughs> Isn't it just absolutely terrifying, too, to think about swimming across the ocean? Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. Even though you've got support boats around you, it's... I don't know how you do that. The waves... Yeah. Huge. I don't... Yeah, it's not like swimming in a pond.
1: I'm not great at geography. Is <clears throat> she going anywhere near Guatemala?
2: How much money does it cost, do you think, Oh, to swim across? Can't imagine. Got to be cheaper to fly. (laughs) Definitely.
0: A New York man is suing CVS because a pharmacist told his wife he had a prescription for Viagra. (laughs) He said the side effect was the breakdown of his marriage. He says that he took the prescription to a Long Island CVS and told a store employee he'd pay for the erectile dysfunction medicine in cash. He didn't want it to show up on his insurance. He says when his wife called to ask about a different prescription, the on-duty pharmacist uh, said the insurance would not cover the Viagra. In case she was wondering, the man says his wife had no right to know about the Viagra prescription, and he accuses CVS of violating federal medical privacy laws.
2: Well, here's why their their marriage broke up. It's not because... She found out about it. It's because he's not having sex with her. (laughs) She's like, whoa,
4: whoa. Wait a second. You got
2: Viagra, and
1: I am not getting any of the benefits of that? Where have you been taking that boner party?
0: (laughs) A survey on BuzzFeed asked people, do you eat things like a normal person or a weirdo? So uh, some of the examples. Do you eat mac and cheese with a fork or a spoon?
2: Fork. I could do either.
0: 81% said a fork.
2: I mean, at a picnic or something, you'll pick up a plastic spoon, but...
0: Which I guess they're not telling people which one is normal, but who, what the majority Only is. Only
2: 9% um, of people are normal. Wait a minute. We need to look up the definition of normal.
0: Do you pour the dressing on your salad, or do you dip your lettuce into the dressing?
1: Oh, my wife dips it into the dressing, and it annoys
2: the hell out of me. <laughs> if I'm making it... Like, if I'm making a salad, uh-huh. I'll dress it. But yeah. if I'm at a restaurant, I always tell them to put it on the side. But
0: then do you dunk? Do you then pour your so own I on? So I do a do version you...
2: of what Serena does that's you e- probably even more annoying to you. I'll, like, like, let's say there's a nice piece of broccoli in the salad or something. I'll look for something that's a good conduit, and then I'll, like, bless the salad with the dressing. Come on. <laughs> Use it to that's Jackson weird. Pollock your salad?
4: <laughs> What's wrong
2: with you? Because I want even distribution, but I don't want to just, you know, you pour it right all oh, the whole you thing. Right you oh, got to do your dressing like that artist
1: up. in the Big Lebowski where she comes flying in on the, on the zipline. <laughs> what was that? Oh, that was Randy with the blue cheese. And the ranch.
2: Exactly.
0: Uh, do you eat ribs with your hands or a knife and fork?
2: I don't eat ribs. I mean,
0: ridiculous.
2: Well, hold on. There are times when you get ribs. If you don't have to get your hands all sticky, if there's like a rib falling off the bone on your plate, like right on, well, you can take a fork and do it. But sure. It, they always say if it has a bone, you can pick it up and eat it. Yes. Which that applies to food. Etiquette. It has to be cooked food. <laughs> but I still don't like doing it sometimes.
0: Well, why? Because you get it on your face out here. On yeah. your cheeks. Yeah, that's, it's that's annoying. It's just a big
2: mess. I feel like a
1: toddler.
0: But I think everybody, when you're eating ribs or wings or something like that, it's just a given. That goes with the territory.
1: I accept that that's the norm, and that's yes. why I don't
2: really eat ribs.
0: 14% eat with a knife and fork.
2: Dude, ribs are so good, though. The, yeah. po- the ribs at Pork and Beans downtown are out of control good.
0: That's one thing I don't I don't cook well that I really want to learn how to do is good barbecue.
2: Yeah, well, once you get done with your compound, <laughs> you can get all your
0: <laughs> but, cult members to start smoking and them for Randy you.
1: Randy will come over and put the sauce on it.
2: I'll zip line over.
0: <laughs> do you twirl your spaghetti or cut it up?
2: Twirl. What's half half the allure? Do you is, use the spoon? No, I don't.
0: Yeah, I do. If, in you, a restaurant? Do you, do you cut it up? You're not answering, so you must I, cut, I it cut it up. I cut
1: it up. Yeah. I want to just get as much of it in as possible, and I don't want to sit there and Lady and the Tramp <laughs> that thing. Slurp it.
0: <laughs> Look at that
1: guy sucking noodles up over there. You cut
2: it up? That seems to me like yeah. not an Italian thing.
1: Well, I think it's just because I don't remember doing that as a as a kid, but now that I have kids, you do I it. cut theirs up, oh, okay. and then I eat theirs.
0: Oh, okay.
4: You know?
0: Uh, Kit Kats, do you break off each individual bar and eat, the, eat it or just take the four piece and bite into it?
2: So this was a big thing online last week um, because Jake Tapper retweeted somebody who said, uh, who's showed her boyfriend just <laughs> took a bite right out of the middle. And he was like, break up with him immediately. Uh, <laughs> I do agree that has some weird sort of sociopathic tendency or yeah, something. Yeah, what kind like. of maniac just bites into the whole Kit Kat? 5%. Well, how many people open up a Twix bar and take bites out of both Twixes at the mm-hmm. same time?
0: I don't. Whoa, do who you? double
2: barrels a Twix? That's what I'm saying. No. You go one Twix at a time. Right? Right. Yeah, you don't favorite. ski pole Twixes. No.
1: <laughs> definitely not. I don't know. I mean, I I just,
2: I don't eat Kit Kats on a regular yeah, basis. me either. Because I'm an ever. adult. If I do, I eat the little miniature ones where you only get one.
0: Okay, so if you... It's
1: like a two-pack. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah, they
2: are two-packs. Yeah, you're right. And you can eat those
1: two bites.
0: Full. Uh, If you get a candy bar that's in squares, do you eat individual squares? Yeah. Yeah, me too.
4: It's telling you how to eat it. Listen to the candy.
0: Same with the Kit Kat. (laughs)
4: Listen
1: to your candy.
0: String cheese. Do you peel pieces off or just bite into the thing?
1: I'm not a string cheese eater. I I dated a girl in high school that used to eat Rice Krispie treats by the crispy. And ever since then, it, it, it drove me so crazy that anything that you can take apart, like theoretically you could take, I just eat the whole thing <laughs> like a slob because I just can't do it and I want to spite her.
0: 78% peel of string cheese. With pizza, do you eat the pointy end first or the crust Come first? On. Come on. Who eats the crust first? 7% eat the crust first. Dexter Morgan. 18% eat pizza with a knife and fork. Only if it's super, super hot.
2: I've done that in a restaurant when it's just so hot. Yeah. It's like you can't pick it up off the plate. And then you have to do that scrape it off the plate thing, you know?
0: Bagels, toasted or untoasted? Either.
2: I like a good toasted bagel.
0: Toasted
1: Toasted bagel is just the best.
0: 22% said untoasted. Do you eat cereal with milk or right out of the box like a snack?
2: Both, all the time.
0: In the middle of the night. In the middle of the
2: night. <laughs> Crushed some last night, kashi. Oh, you did. Pay, you're yeah.
1: back. You're back
0: on the
2: wagon. That was, uh, I had a. I fell off the wagon last night. Are you were off the wagon. I never know
1: what the wagon is. Yeah, it's, it's a confusing thing.
0: Ninety percent like it with milk. Nine percent no milk. One percent eat it with milk and ice. What? I've never even heard nah. of
2: that. Ice in your cereal? Yeah. Stupid. Dumb.
1: The cereal's not cold enough. Said no one ever.
0: Finally, Jared Leto getting his own Joker movie. Leto played the Batman villain in the 2016 movie Suicide Squad. Sources telling Variety that he'll star in and executive produce a standalone movie based on the Joker. It'll be the second spinoff based on a character from Suicide Squad. Warner Brothers has already announced Margot Robbie will star in a movie featuring her character Harley Quinn. Partly sunny upper 60s today. It's 48 at DVE.
2: Mike Pursuita coming in next with your sports on DVE. DVE. Sports. Mike Frisuto with your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show.
5: The Pirates fell to 500 last night. It only feels like rock bottom after the Dodgers' five 0 win at PNC Park. The Bucs, uh, not that long ago, were 26 and 17. That was back on May the 17th. But 13 losses in 17 games later, they have hit the 500 mark at 30 and 30 and. They're going to have to clear up at least one thing. Uh, Sean Rodriguez started again at shortstop last night. Apparently, he was a late game replacement for Jordy Mercer. Had flu like symptoms or something? They cannot bat Gregory Polanco and Sean Rodriguez in succession because you can't tell after Polanco makes an out whether the booing is for the out that Polanco just made or the <laughs> out that Rodriguez <laughs> is about to make. <laughs> You gotta split that up i I was watching that last space the booze out i was sitting down on left field line last night thinking boy these people really hate polanco oh wait a minute maybe they just hate rodriguez (laughs) oh yeah it's getting ugly bad getting ugly what was the attendance last night the listed attendance was 12,879 there were not that many in the yard counting the dogs so
2: they're still down around 15k per game According to, well, that's what Madden has been tweeting out. That sounds big to me. They weren't averaging 27,000 a game.
5: Here's what's really gotten my attention. We went, uh, my family and I went a couple Sundays ago against St. Louis. And we got a little late start. And normally we like to go to Soho and get something to eat and have a couple drinks and then go in. And we got down there about 1230. I'm thinking, man, this ain't happening. For a 130 game. Yeah. There was nobody in there. Just walking can you seat four? Sure. Where would you like to sit? Wow. Right across the street from yeah. the stadium. I mean, Can you, you, you play shortstop? Oh, right? yeah. That, it's a, that it's, bar, you can't get a drink. Yeah, right, it's yeah. packed. This was Tumbleweed City on a Sunday afternoon before Cardinals game.
2: Well, the television ratings haven't really changed from what I understand. We were talking to Stan about that. and I thought they would have gone up. Because people are watching and not <laughs> by, going. By 15,000 people per game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as I think people are paying attention. They're just not willing to spend their money.
5: I, just, I wanted to see Musgrove pitch last night. He was intriguing yeah. to me in his first two starts. Apparently, He's been great. few others had the same thought. And they were right because he went five innings instead of seven. And he gave up four runs. Three of them earned instead of one or none. The honeymoon is over. Trevor Williams against uh, Caleb Ferguson tonight. Ferguson making his big league debut for the Dodgers. Rough rough uh, times for the Buccos. That it is. Uh, rough times in the NFL these days as well, although uh, a revelation at OTAs yesterday. Yeah. I actually found an Jesus occurrence, <laughs> an instance, <laughs> a situation, a circumstance where it is appropriate for an NFL player to take a knee. Here's...
7: Mike Hilton. I did. actually got engaged Sunday. We was at, actually out there at Point State Park. It was just me and her, and I just felt the time was right and got on one knee and proposed. The family was going, and it was at least it was a lot of people out there, so somebody got on video and pictures, I'm sure. That yeah, was probably one of the most nervous moments of my life, but also one of the best moments of my life.
2: What a strong Pittsburgh move there, getting engaged at the point. Yeah. yeah. So congrats
5: to uh, slot corner Mike Hilton and Chastity Copeland of Atlanta. Took a knee. Took a knee. No comment from the White House. No comment from Morgan Burnett, who's actually been to Trump the White House. Trump said he
2: had to go get engaged in the locker room.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Burnett has uh, been to the White House after the mm-hmm. Packers beat the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Morgan Burnett is uh, one of the few people on the South Side yesterday who actually had experience with that kind of thing. Uh, he didn't uh, want to talk much about uh, the Eagles situation.
7: I really don't have any comment on I mean, that's not... I mean, that's their organization. That's what those guys decide to do. And uh, as a man, you respect, I mean, what the guys on the Eagles decide to do. I mean, that's their decision. I mean, I'm not part of the organization, so I don't know how things go over there. He did talk about his White House experience with the Packers as memorable and then some. You won the year before, but the time you do go, it's already going into, we was headed to a preseason game. So your mindset was already transitioning to, all right, this is a new season, new team. But at the time, I, I mean, I had the experience to go, which was a great experience. And um, it was a fun experience, but it's how I was young, Ricky. You know, I mean, my head was swimming, period. You talking about Ricky, you coming in, winning, going to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl. So you didn't know what was going on or what to expect. But uh, my head was spinning. My eyes was big. I mean, that's, that's a historical house. In 1995, Ravel tweeted
2: this out last night. 1995, when the Devils won the Stanley Cup, only nine of them went to the White House to meet Bill Clinton. They're like we. Everyone else had other stuff to do. They were like mm. petitioning to keep their team in New Jersey at the time. There was talk they'd moved to Tennessee. So like nine of them went. They just represented the team. Hey, we're here for the team. Was it the nine American guys? I th- I was just gonna say,
1: with a hockey club, you never know. If Did that's they have an that an many American thing? guys in
5: 1995? <laughs> I don't know. It used to be just one of those things you kind of look forward to if you were the fan of a team. It was sort of the. The exclamation point on your championship, and you got to be on the national news, mm-hmm. and everybody wore a suit and respected the office and the environment, if not anything else. But times uh, have changed, Mike. Yeah, this is why we can't have nice things, Randy. We can't times. have national anthems and White House visits. Times have changed. Well, gear
1: up because we're gonna be uh, round two in it. Whenever Golden State or the Cleveland Cav-
5: Cavaliers win, yeah, there's probably a real good chance with either one of those teams will. LeBron already
2: said neither team's going. It depends on... It doesn't matter who wins. And Golden State
1: didn't go last year.
2: Right. Remember that? Yeah, that's not happening.
5: Can't have nice things. Somebody effed it up for everybody. Gee, who could that be? (laughs) More OTA fun today. Can't wait to see what's revealed. Mike Hilton took a knee. Got away with it. Got engaged.
2: Good for him. Even that probably made Art Rooney nervous. Can you... Stand up! Stand up! <laughs> Can we want hang it really What really upset them was
5: when she said, yes, he stuck his fist in the air. Yeah!
2: <laughs> on the way for a little bit later. Why on do you on have a movie. leather glove on. Michelle Rubini. He was the piano player, keyboardist in The Wrecking Crew, the most legendary uh, assemblage of musicians ever. They that recorded hundreds <laughs> and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hits. And yeah, you don't know their names. It's still a bold statement. All right, I said one of, didn't I? I thought you said the. All right, the. I'll stand by it. Prove me wrong. I mean, the Granati brothers are pretty good. No, those guys are all legends. But nobody knows their names except for Hal Blaine, and Carol Kay. That's the only two that come to mind right away. Nobody knows who they are. They can't be legendary. (laughs) In the industry, they are. In the amongst their peers. In the industry, they're legendary.
5: Because to me, they're just a bunch of guys with instruments. Well, a lot
1: of the times they produced their own parts. They came up with licks. They, they did the arrangements,
2: and they didn't get writing credits. That's one of the more interesting things about the Wrecking Crew. It's weird how you, like, these people would write a song and go, okay, I've got all the chords, and I don't know exactly what I need you to play or you to play, but you're the expert, so you figure it out. And then they write parts, but they don't get a writing credit on the song. Seems like they should, right? That's going on for a long time, right?
5: Yes. It's way Dirty business, the music
2: industry. Oh, was. is it ever? It's filthy. At least that's what all the movies tell me. Michelle Rubini, his new book, Life in the Key of Rubini.
1: <laughs> Rubini. Great title.
2: Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, Edzo is going to join us to talk uh, ponies, Belmont's. Life in the Key of Ponies. And uh, also, we'll talk about the Stanley Cup, of course, tomorrow night. Marc Andre Fleury, it might be his uh, last chance. Well, it is his last chance to save his team there, unless he creates another chance. <laughs> Mark Madden, 945, and Burt Kreischer staying with us for the DVE. It is the DVE Morning Show. Randy Bauman along with Val Porter, Bill Crawford. And uh, we talked early in the 6 o'clock hour about this, but the, the obituary of Kathleen Demlow is making people uh, very upset. She, she passed away. She's originally from Minnesota, and her kids basically put a rotten... Uh, uh, obituary about her. It's harshly worded obituary that, uh, they en- roasted her. It, they ended with, it, it ended with, she will now face judgment <laughs> by our Lord and savior. Yeah. She ditched her two children and family in 1962 and moved to California after she became pregnant with her husband's brother. The obituary stated the children, Jean and Jay were then raised by the woman's parents in Clements, Minnesota. The Obit concludes by saying Demlo quote will not be missed by Gina and Jay, <laughs> and they understand that this world is a better place without her.
1: Something that- tells me the uh, their half brother and sister or who however many kids she had with the, the brother uh, don't
2: live in Minnesota anymore. <laughs> the link to the obituary was deleted. The general manager of the Redwood Falls Gazette.
0: Sounds like a nice town.
2: Told the yeah. uh, Tribune Review. Yeah, it looks like it sounds like the town like Chevy Chase moved to in Funny Farm, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> told the Tribune Review that uh, paid obituary that received national attention had been removed from the newspaper's website and said that they didn't want to run it initially and were overruled. Readers of the uh, of that newspaper were super angry, and one relative said, "You know, there's a lot of stuff that's missing from that obituary. She made a mistake." 60 years ago but who hasn't has she regretted it over the years yes can you do it in a minnesota accent <laughs> oh he's very upset i don't know i can't uh he decided to go out with hate dwight Demlo says about her son jay i can't believe he did this this is going to hurt a lot of people all right well this is why I like the guy from Union City last week who was like, he's partying up in heaven right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a huge
1: fan of the uh, the creative obits that really sing the praises of the, the departed. I don't like to roast them on their way out. You know, give uh, them a rotten tomatoes on their way to the pearly gates. Uh, That's not cool. Uh, but it's how you live your life. Again, it has been helpful for me. I just keep showing it to my dad. I think it's a good deterrent. Yeah. yeah. You know? Spend your last year's uh, make amends for
2: any right. anybody you hurt. You're being good. a pain in the ass right now about this thing. Just don't forget. I get the
0: last word. <laughs> Pre-fed it to that open. Harding shots. Why
2: don't they, they might as well just have an actual roast. It would be probably a little bit more cathartic for them. Yeah. Comedy Central would probably host it. Right. Or try to find the good in what she did. She was a giver. Yeah. She loved traveling away from Minnesota. Loved all people. Loved family. She was a great sister-in-law. And she had a very laissez-faire parenting style. Try to find the good in her sleeping with her husband's brother. I can parent from anywhere. You kids know how to raise yourselves, right? But I think the point you made earlier is is a good one. The reason people were so upset by this is that the people who read obituaries are closer to having their own. Yep. And so when they see that, they're like, somebody could do that to me. Oh,
1: this can't be a thing. We gotta, <laughs> this is a bad we, trend. We got to fight the ref so we get the next call. <laughs> this cannot be a thing. My dad's obsessed with
2: his obituary, man.
1: Like, it's unhealthy. I think everyone around that age, once you hit 70, you just start reading obits Oh, well, you don't even every day. to be
0: that old.
2: But I constantly get oh, the obituary. are already there, <laughs> Every time I talk to him, he tells me about other people that died. First of all, it well, feels like about 50% of his social life is going to the funeral home.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, he's that age. Yeah, but he, like... The numbers are dwindling. He,
2: he looks forward to it too much. Like, he goes and does shtick. you know? <laughs> He's like, oh, I was really breaking him up at the, uh, you know, Weinstein funeral. Like, what do you
0: do? What? Well, maybe that makes him feel good to re- to be able to relieve some of the uh, the morning. No, and- he
2: looks at it like an open mic. It's totally inappropriate. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's stage time. Because to him, it is a social
1: gathering. He's Working this- out this new chunk. Hopefully, somebody passes away this week. <laughs> <laughs> I got this new story I've been dying to tell. I got to get some legs under it.
2: Uh, he, I told you the one time he sent me a picture of uh, a friend of mine at her mother's funeral. Like, uh, he's like, hey, look how great she looks. She says hi. And he took a picture with his cell phone and sent it to me. I'm like, I can see her
0: mom laying behind her. That's not appropriate, dude. <laughs> yeah.
2: Never entered his mind that that might not be okay.
0: What kind of picture are you going to put in your obituary? Because I want to put in a picture of me at like Seven.
2: That's, yeah, you know, that's a good point, because everybody sees the picture when you're old. Like, if they make a statue of you, they never make uh, the statue when you're a
1: young you person. you go out.
2: Yeah, but then you're going to confuse people,
1: because people will see the picture, and they'll go, oh, no, well, this little cl- seven-year-old.
0: it'll clearly be a dated picture. You know, you can tell by the clothing or whatever. Yeah, if it's but... a
2: 77. You should put the Napoleon Dynamite yeah, picture Yeah, when in. you're at horse Ma- camp.
0: Yeah, maybe I will.
1: <laughs> Get that one in there. Um,
0: oh, no, Napoleon Dynamite died. <laughs> hey, God. I don't want
2: an obituary. I just wanted to just... Just next, you're done. Move on.
0: You didn't exist, yeah, or you don't exist anymore.
2: I'm definitely
1: gonna have a nice headshot,
0: <laughs> a nice like a glamour <laughs> shot. Yeah,
1: me climbing up a ladder, looking back
0: <laughs> with the wagon wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> like
2: an eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. like uh, you're sitting picture. on a bunch of blocks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a B Z.
2: <laughs> Just hanging out on some hay bales.
1: Dude, true story. I got my first headshots. My dad was like, you know, this photographer that I work with will take some headshots for you. He, we went up on this roof, and he was like, uh, go stand over by that uh, that air conditioner. And I was like, why? He's like, I think it'll give it some good contrast. So I have headshots of me just crouching down behind an air conditioner an industrial <laughs> he's like hey pick up some of those rocks i'm like why i'm not i'm trying to di- i'm trying to be an actor he's a
2: he's a funny guy <laughs> uh, he can uh, fix your heating and cooling needs and if you need him to
0: carry uh, <laughs> rocks slay a giant
2: he can uh, he can play a palestinian in he's a movie he's got a good grip <laughs> good grip <laughs> great with rocks strong hands the funniest geologist you'll ever meet <laughs> Val has your news coming up here in a little bit.
0: Uh, we're going to talk about the hardest part of dating.
4: <laughs> oh,
2: Michelle Rubini. <laughs> Why'd you say it like it hurt?
1: Because uh, she said that right at the same time as I looked over and I saw a kangaroo kicking somebody
2: in the junk. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> that
0: will make it tough.
2: Appropriate. The Wrecking Crew's Michelle Rubini, legendary keyboardist, is uh, has a new book, Life in the Key Rubini. We'll talk with him. 8.45. Edzo talks Belmont Stakes and the Stanley Cup at 9.15. Erg.
0: Do you pour the dressing on your salad or do you dip your lettuce into the dressing?
2: If I'm making it, like if I'm making a salad, uh-huh. I'll dress it. But yeah. if I'm at a restaurant, I always tell them to put it on the side. Like, let's say there's a nice piece of broccoli in the salad or something. I'll look for something that's a good conduit. And then I'll, like, bless the salad with the dressing. Come on. <laughs> Use it to that's Jackson weird. Pollock your salad?
4: <laughs> 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 What's wrong with
2: you? Because <laughs> I want even distribution, but I don't want to just... You know, you pour it right all the whole you thing. Gotta right do, oh, you gotta do your dressing like dress that artist that. in The Big Lebowski,
1: where she comes flying in on the <laughs> on the zip line. <laughs> what was that? Oh, that was Randy with the blue
6: cheese. Randy Bauman and
2: the DVE Morning Dude, Show. If I could have a waiter do that, I definitely would. <laughs> I'd like you to zip line across the restaurant, please, and give me some vinaigrette. Just fling it. We got Val.
0: Here's a Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Bridgeville Appliance. Oh, sure. It's 49 degrees, now a DVM Val Porter. A New York judge says President Trump can be deposed in a lawsuit brought by a former contestant on The Apprentice. Summer Zervos claims Trump groped and kissed her after she appeared on the show. Trump has denied the accusations and has suggested that the Zervos claim is a hoax. She filed a defamation suit against Trump last year because of his denials. On Tuesday, New York Judge Jennifer Schechter ordered both sides in the case to submit uh, submit two depositions. Trump's legal team has appealed the case, claiming it's politically motivated. Well, the Philadelphia Eagles are a hot topic right now, but here's a, a good thing that at least one of them is doing. Quarterback Carson Wentz is giving back to the city of brotherly love with free food for those in need. He unveiled... Thy Kingdom Crumb over the weekend. I like it. It's a food truck that, in conjunction with a Connect Church in Cherry Hill, will serve free food to disadvantaged people around the greater Philly area. According to the food truck's website, the vehicle will also be parked at Lincoln Financial Field, which is where the Eagles play. Uh, it'll be there for all of the team's home games. Now, it's only leftovers,
1: season. but still, it's nice.
0: <laughs> Thy Kingdom Crumb.
1: Crumb is like... Crumb is not a great word, No. Though. Because you're like I can't even get a crumb. we will right, we'll give you a crumb. Want a crumb? Come get some crumbs.
2: I, he's a he's a holy f- fella. <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't know that. I guess. I like Carson Wentz a lot. Uh, ESPN did a story on him when he was visiting a kid who was like terminally ill. Oh it yeah. F- totally made me like you know like. Oh boy. Oh, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Oh yeah. But that kingdom crumb.
1: Somebody should have talked him out of that one. <laughs> What was the kid's name? It was something to, the destroyer, I want to say Ivan or something. I, I can't remember what the kid's name was, but yeah, that, that story was incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, dating is hard. Whether you've been single for a while and you're a pro or you're just breaking back into it again, there is no escaping the work it takes to find someone that you can click with. A recent trending post on Reddit asked, Singles, what is their ba- biggest dating struggle? Online dating, the biggest Struggle for people,
2: I bet. Yeah, I talked to a friend, uh, who is uh, she's like 50, and she's like, I'm done, dude, not even trying because it is, it's brutal, yeah, just brutal. So, I think the older you get in this, if you're like Pittsburgh's not, you know, Chicago, LA, New Mm -hmm. York population, and if you're not in one of those huge metropolitan areas. I think the amount of available people for online. De- I think you can run through it pretty quick, right. and you're like, "All right, I've seen all these faces before. Seen oh, a God. bunch of these app holes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> flirting <laughs> and trying to read social cues. I think that would be a tough one. Well, like not knowing. What guy, does guys this are pretty mean careful now. Know. Now they're
2: like, "Hey, I just want to make sure.
1: <laughs> I'm finding out I can't read.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: have." Uh, I, no
2: idea what the social cues mean. I don't want there to be any confusion at all. Can, every guy. Can you write down what's going on between <laughs> us right now? Every and I'll have it notarized. G- g- yes.
1: Every single guy misreads it. Every single guy.
2: Oh, without a doubt. Look at misconnections. Every every misconnection oh. is a waitress or a person who
0: works at sheets Being nice because it's their job. Because it's their
2: job. And guys are like, hey, you look like you wanted it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Why don't he,
2: you smile more?
1: She smiles. She wants to bone me. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> ghosting. Big challenge today. Yeah. Tinder. Because it's, it's superficial. And, do, you,
1: do we have to explain ghosting? Because a lot of people are probably listening like, what the hell is
0: well, that? People just Ghosting is when you
2: just, you just disappear. Yeah. You stop yeah. answering text calls. Fall off the face of the earth. Emails stop looking out the window when rocks are being thrown at it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like someone's ghosted me and I went to extremes, but it's just, I'm just giving you the definition.
0: And uh, it's almost possible to meet somebody in person, so you're forced to use dating apps.
1: Man, I just... It's a jungle I'm, out there, I'm dude. glad I got... It was like the last chopper out of NOM. Yeah. I got out right before that hit. And it, I'm
2: glad. Yeah. it's a, It's a vast wasteland.
0: I always tell friends who are... They're single and look, and I'm like, listen, if you sign up for one of those dating services, at the worst, maybe you make some new friends, or maybe you'll meet your person through somebody you meet on there and make you become friends with. You never know. No, that's
2: true. Um, My girlfriends in Pittsburgh don't use Tinder Mm -hmm. when they're here, but when they leave, if they go on vacation somewhere...
0: Yeah, what comic was here and was like... Hooking up with people Gareth. on Tinder.
2: Oh
1: yeah, I've been on the as road with Gareth, town. where he just carpet bombs every single person. <laughs> hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? And then you wake up
2: the next morning and see if you get any responses. Joe, do your friends do that when they uh, when they go out of town? Or, because I, I would imagine Pittsburgh's too small, and you 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 run into too many common names right away.
3: Yeah, I think it's also more successful when you leave town too.
2: Because why? Because you don't have to. You can lie,
0: right? You You pretend you get more
2: confidence because you're like these people don't know what a
0: chef I am.
1: There's a new one. It's Tinder. Like my buddy was using
2: one, and I think it's it's called like Bumble. That's where the girl has the control over the the meeting, right? Right. They have to message you first within 24 hours. But sometimes if they don't message you within 24 hours, as a guy, you can like refresh it so then you have the first move, and they'll be like, "Oh, he wants me to message him." Okay, Mm, I'd like to kind of like a nudge. Right, like the Facebook poke. So your friends, to be clear, again, the millennials of Pittsburgh, in the uh, in the uh, people in their twenties here, they don't use it so much anymore. Oh no, it's still popular here, but I've I've know people who've also had success elsewhere around the country. They so go out of town and start dealing aces. Is yeah. is go. Tinder
1: the preferred app, or is it Bumble, or wh- which one is it for the? Younger? I think it's the mixed kids bag, using,
2: but Bumble seems to be more popular now. Yeah. Yep. Grinder. You
1: know the normal <laughs> ones. Grinder is the most aggressive. That's Isn't the dude that, That's the dude
2: on dude one, right? Yeah. yeah. The name is just, it's like, <laughs> oh, you know what you're getting into. It's not, you're not going to go, you're not going for coffee.
0: <laughs>
4: no, we're going to
0: grind. I was going to use another word, but I don't think I can. Grind no. him? No. <laughs> I'll tell you off air. Hogies
1: I mean. and grinders?
0: <laughs> uh, would you take your wife's name? More and more men are doing that. Still, though, Sheila. pretty. Still a pretty small percentage Only 3% In 87% of marriages the woman Takes her husband's last name In 6% neither change their name And in 4% the wife Hyphenates and researchers found that The more education a guy has the less Likely he is to take his wife's name Younger men more likely To take their wife's name than older men
2: The hyphen just Like kind of Denotes a little stuffiness doesn't it Yeah uh, failure to like really commit.
0: I feel like that's also a higher income thing.
2: I need to let you know from whence I came. <laughs> I came from this family hyphen this family.
1: <laughs> We're talking to you, Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> now that's her
8: middle I name. Know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, big name celebrities owe big bucks to the state of California. The state has released a list of 500 people described as tax delinquents. Tori Spelling reportedly owes about 280 grand in back taxes. Chris Tucker said to owe the state over a million bucks. But he's not at the top of the list. The guy who produced the latest version of Jumanji, which his family, I think, does. the They own the new uh, Chicago Sun-Times or one of those Chicago papers. Uh, this guy owes the state twenty million in taxes.
2: Whoa, that's it, that's a lot. Is that the Ricketts, Tom uh, Ricketts?
0: No, I don't think that's his name.
2: The guy that owns the Cubs. I thought they owned the Tribune. That's an unfortunate last name. <laughs> yeah, me, and my brother Bill Shingles, <laughs> Tom Ricketts,
0: <laughs> and my cousin Scurvy. Right, exactly. <laughs> A new book about the creation of the song, the album, and the film Imagine is set to arrive this fall, simply titled Imagine. The over 300-page hardcover book will be released on October 9th, which would have been John Lennon's 78th birthday. According to Yoko Ono, the book tells a story that her and her late husband's life, work, and relationship during the time the classic album was being written and recorded, with each chapter and song introduced with text by John and Yoko.
2: I always wonder if John would have been sick of Yoko by now. Oh my god, yes.
0: <laughs> I think
1: if he lived even one more y- I mean, I don't know. Here. He would have been like, "All
2: right, this is stupid. What are we doing here?" <laughs> this was a phase. No, I think they were I think they were totally intertwined. I, I I do believe yeah, they were soulmates.
0: Weirdo soulmates.
2: But sometimes when people like Courtney Love, you know, she is seen as the representative of the life work of of Kurt Cobain, but if he lived They might have he might have been like, I I don't want to see her again. He'd have a restraining order (laughs) against her uh,
0: would not have ended well. And speaking of Courtney Love, she's being sued by her former son-in-law's ex-girlfriend. Jessica Sullivan is the former girlfriend of Francis Bean's ex-husband, Isaiah Silva This girl claims Courtney and others tried to solicit perjury and prevent witnesses from testifying in a case about a guitar that belonged to Kurt. Silva claims a guitar which Kurt played during Nirvana's MTV Unplugged show and is worth a lot of money. Uh, He claims it was given to him by Frances Bean Cobain as a gift. He claims he should get to keep it after the two divorced. The the ex-girlfriend's lawsuit claims she was the target of harassment and attempted bribery in an effort by Courtney to make the guitar custody uh, go in her daughter's favor. Partly sunny, upper 60s for the high today. It's 50 at DVE.
2: Rob Rogers, the uh, Post-Gazette cartoonist, has just tweeted out, I can't get into specifics here, but I felt that it was best under the circumstances to take some vacation days until issues with the Post-Gazette are resolved. I can't thank you enough for your support. Rob has not been getting his cartoons published because the super crazy conservative a new editor guy from Toledo, won't let Rob print any of his cartoons. The same cartoons that he has been lauded for, nationally awarded Mm -hmm. for decades, and has been uh, celebrated here in Pittsburgh as a voice of Pittsburghers, has been silenced because of this guy that uh, John Block put in charge of uh, editing things here, the guy who wrote the, hey, stop calling racists, racists editorial, now won't print any of the Rob Rogers cartoons that we know and love. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's taking vacation and hopefully... That's something that will end up getting resolved because, boy, we'd hate to lose his voice right now. Yeah,
0: he's pretty talented.
2: Need it uh, now more than ever. Um, That kid uh, was named, his name was
1: Lucas Koester, and they called him the Dutch Destroyer in the Carson Wentz. Okay. That was
2: the Carson Wentz uh, Sports Center Presents. Okay, good deal. Well, yesterday when Donald Trump had his, uh, oh, yeah, Eagles don't want to come here. Well, we're going to have our own celebration on the lawn. And uh he had the uh the, the Marine choir out there whatever it was. Um the Marine was it the Marine Corps? I think or was it the US military whatever. Those guys I mean He had
1: the Francis Hopkinson hologram uh knitting the first official American flag while Francis Scott Key hologram was <laughs>
2: singing the national anthem, I think. So he goes out there and they play they play and sing God bless America and Trump stands right in front of him and uh you know honoring our country by singing god bless america and he's like oh i like this one so trump stands right out there and starts to sing (laughs) he does not know the words at all he gets that part out and then he goes okay and then he turns around a couple of times (sighs) at one point i think he coughs you know to hide the fact that he doesn't know the words and then he just stops singing and then he rejoins in the part Mm -hmm. where he goes from the mountains (laughs) like he knows that part because of course he does so i thought it'd be cool if kids like if they say the pledge of allegiance which i don't know if they do or don't now and i'm sure that uh there's controversy over that but we should just do it the way he would do it from now on just say the big words that everyone (laughs) remembers the important stuff that's right i pledge allegiance to the flag of the united states of america God! One nation! Uh, Indestructible. Uh, Lumber for everybody. (laughs) Believe me. (laughs) Wait, is that in the song? One guy had the balls to kneel. Yeah. While they were doing uh, the uh, the anthem. Where'd
0: that guy come from?
2: And somebody tried to go interview him. And he took off. Pretty smart, yeah. A Danish reporter <laughs> went over to try to, to interview him, and he said, the guy was like, nope, sorry, don't want to talk. I don't like Danish. I can't I'm believe, out of here. I can't believe he got off the lawn. Um, there was one uh, Philadelphia reporter who was pissed that there were no Eagles fans there. Like, why Why would you think there would be? Yeah. Of course there wouldn't be. Uh, he was He was going around asking people who their favorite Eagles player was, and nobody could name Eagles players. Carson Wentz, Randall Cunningham, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg, Joe Walsh. Uh, on the way, <laughs> Mike Persuda has your sports. The Buccos, another rough night for the Buccos. And uh, the Stanley Cup Finals, tomorrow night, Mark andre Fleury, hoping to give his team another chance. LeBron's down 2-0. I just noticed the other night in Game 2, Adam Durwitz was sitting right next to the Cavs bench, the guy from the Counting Crows, yeah, and he was sitting next to like this elderly Asian guy, and it had to be the the most. Who was it? I don't know. It was just the the guy from the Counting Crows with his sideshow bob wig, yes, next to like an old Asian guy. Like it
0: doesn't Adam Duritz. I saw commercial with him and another guy in the band, and I I don't know if they were promoting an upcoming show, but it was like I thought it was a parody. No. Because he's like a little heftier than he he's used big. to be. He's a big fellow. And his wig is way out of control. It's crazy. Should he shouldn't like, be allowed
2: to what? sit courtside with that thing. <laughs> no, no, because when the players fall down, the refs just take it off his head and mop up the sweat. <laughs> DVE Sports. Mike Cursuta has your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show, 830 on the dot.
5: Let's lead with OTAs this hour, and specifically the continued progress of Mason Rudolph. High-profile quarterback the Steelers drafted out of Oklahoma State. Probably not going to play a whole lot this year, but he is going to be one of the more intriguing Steelers nonetheless. He's going to be a guy that everybody is going to keep at least one eye on to see how he's developing and uh, where he's headed. We're not yet sure uh, where that is just yet, but we know this much. Mason Rudolph is really enjoying his initial steps in the NFL.
7: It's awesome. It's, it's fun. It's challenging. Right when you think you figured it out, you know they're, they're, we install more. So it's, it's, um, it's just a daily install, You know, just process of learning, regurgitating, spitting it out of practice, and then going back in the meeting room and fixing the mistakes.
5: Yeah, OTAs are, are much more about uh, guys such as Rudolph than they are established vets, and uh, he's learning as he goes. Sometimes he does the right thing, as he did yesterday on a touchdown pass to wide receiver Trey Griffey on a red zone
7: fade. You know, down there when you get in the red zone, you got to make real, real quick decisions based on coverage and matchup and all factors in. But, you know, that, that was our that was our man side, I believe. And so we went to that, went through the through it to Trey and he made a great play.
5: And sometimes Rudolph does the wrong thing, as he did yesterday on, on what became an interception by safety Jordan Dangerfield.
7: Yeah, just, you know, kind of flushed out to my left, trying to throw back across my body. Right. Stupid mistake. You know, uh, I know not to do that, so I, I won't. Physical error. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, you, you know, you, you, once you get moved right, you got to know that it's time to check the ball down to the back, and not try to force it across your body. So it's, I'll learn from it, it won't happen again.
5: Physical and a mental error. Don't, don't try to make a throw that you end up making poorly because the chances are pretty good you're going to make it poorly because it's the wrong thing to do. But uh, he really seems to have a grasp of what's going on out there. And, uh, it's interesting to hear him talk about what he does right and what he does wrong, and now he's not going to do it again, and uh, just how he's you know sorting through it day by day. It's, I would imagine, uh, overwhelming at the quarterback position, coming from college to the NFL. But he's, oh man, he seems to really be embracing it. Did you guys what commiserate
1: like? about Kenny Chesney because he seemed to be uh, leading the sing along
5: in the suite? I did not. Uh... Talk to him about Kenny Chesney. I've moved on from Kenny Chesney. You have? Yeah. Put it behind you? I, I'm on to... Uh, Gotta have a short memory. Next big thing production for me is uh, June 18th. Dropkick Murphy's Flog and Flogging Molly at Stage A.E. Oh, wow. my God. Beautiful. you going to
2: that? Yes, I am. Make sure to wear all black, buddy. We'll get you some uh, black that- shorts and black socks and some black uh, Converse to wear there. And- is that what you do? Yeah.
5: And rock out. Okay, good to know. You'll have a blast. Yes, I will. Those are two great bands. I have taken uh, June 19th as a vacation day. That's so much of a blast I'm
2: going to have. Val, isn't flogging Molly made up of the guys from Fastway?
0: Oh, I don't know. Say what
2: you will. No, <laughs> guys from know. Safeway. Oh, Safeway. <laughs> mm-hmm.
5: Last thing about Rudolph. Uh, one of his habits uh, at these OTAs, which the Steelers will continue today, is to spend extra time on the field working on something that he wasn't pleased with. During the day's festivities, he did that yesterday with tight ends Xavier Grimble, Xavier Grimble, excuse me, and
7: Pharaoh McKeever. Whatever, just something I feel like I need to get a more reps at. I try to, try to focus on that. So was this a result of well. what happened today? The guys you were working um, with? It, what, yeah, what? I overthrew a flat to Xavier, and then just just lack of reps on the, a couple other routes that I just am not getting because I'm running with the threes. I feel like we, just, we, you know, they they're gracious enough to come catch me afterwards. So it's. It's good work.
5: Interesting little revelation there. He's running with the threes. Ben's not there, (laughs) which means it's Landry, Josh Dobbs, and the kid. The kid. Start from the bottom and work your way up. Not too many entitled guys that uh, get to start on top as TJ Watt did last year. Well, if. Rudolph would have had an older brother
1: who was absolutely dominating the league for years. Maybe it'd be different. It might. I
2: think there would also be a lot. Well, maybe I'm wrong about this. I was going to say the the spotlight on him would be less bright had the controversy not been ginned up in the postseason or the. Uh, I'm sorry. After the draft, post draft, between Ben and his frustration with the club, maybe, maybe.
5: I think it was going to be pretty high either way just because he is, I believe, perceived in a different light than any of these other quarterbacks, even going back to Landry Jones that they have collected.
2: Yeah, you never thought Landry had a shot at one day being the next guy. Yeah. And And they
5: valued him at a one, right? So they say, uh, I think this guy is perceived as the next guy, right or wrong. I'm not sure he's going to be that. Perceived by the... Most people, just sort of the... This is the the media
2: narrative. The way the wind's blowing, right? Yeah, I got you. Okay.
5: And he might be. I don't think it's a guarantee, but uh, he's got some tools, and he really appears to have a great head on his shoulders. Cool. For figuring this stuff out as he goes. Pirates got to figure something out because they got beat again. Five to nothing by the Dodgers last night. Even Joe Musgrove wasn't enough to stem the tide of losing, which has now reached thirteen of the last seventeen games. Pirates dropped to thirty and thirty on the season. They were nine games over five hundred on May the seventeenth. Musgrove suffers his first loss in three starts. He went five innings, allowed six hits, four runs, three of them earned, one walk and five Ks. A uh increasingly hostile announced crowd of twelve thousand eight hundred and seventy nine was in attendance. <laughs> increasingly hostile. It was getting more cantankerous. At least I stayed for 5 innings. It was a late start. And uh after the Pirates loaded the bases and didn't score in the 5th, uh, it was about quarter to 10 and I decided to check out. But uh the citizenry was not happy.
2: Did you see in the uh Braves Padres game some girl caught a foul ball in her beer. She had a full beer and it plopped right in it and she chugged the beer with the ball in it.
5: <laughs> nice. How much of the beer could have been left after the ball got in
2: there? No, there's
1: floating Enough. on top. There's a lot in there. A little baseball Boilermaker. Yeah, it was
5: awesome. Caps and uh, Golden Knights will resume hostilities tomorrow night in Game 5 in Vegas in the NBA. It's Golden State at Cleveland tonight. Cleveland's down 2 0, just as it had been in uh, the Eastern Conference final against the Celtics. Ended up winning that series. Cleveland has also won eight straight at home. Anybody think those trends continue against Golden State? I
2: don't know what to think. I have no idea. I think LeBron's taking them as yeah. far as he can. I don't know what to think either because I just don't pay that much. But attention. I don't, yeah, I'm not qualified to really yeah. say. Golden State seemingly has won a lot in recent years. They're good. Uh, yeah. Pretty, pretty good. They got a full team. Probably going to win again this year, I would think. And they got the Duritz bump, you know, with Adam Duritz sitting on the edge of the bench there. So, yeah, it's tough to get over that. Fowl's got news top of the hour.
0: Well, guys, if you're single and you have a dad bod, you're in luck. I'll tell you why.
2: All right, so we have Michelle Rubini coming on here in just a little bit. He is uh, one of the most important members of the Wrecking Crew, the famed group of musicians in Los Angeles that recorded hundreds of hits. He was a part of a lot of those. He toured with all the big names. Uh, He had a long affiliation with Sonny and Cher, Barbara Streisand, Frank Zappa, Ray Charles. Uh, He was in Loggins and Messina for a time. He was in Seals and Crofts for for a time, but his contributions with the Wrecking Crew really the important stuff to note. In his new book that we're going to tell you about uh, coming up, Life in the Key of Rubini, um, they give you like some questions, sample <laughs> questions sometimes with potential questions, yeah, with some of these interviews. And I'm guessing because he is, well, geez, he's 76 years old, he's got to have a sense of humor. I would imagine because a so, lot of these
1: questions are kind of funny,
2: yeah, like, do you have a federal criminal record? Can you talk about it and he says and it it has this answer here to prepare you now tip- typically again, we don't get questions from people that we have on, but the, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll th- hey if you if you want something to ask him, he's yeah. good with these. And he talked about, I was charged with one count of violating the U.S. Marine Mammal Protection Act. And I just wanted to stop right there. I don't want to know anything more about what he did. Oh, that's
4: what you guys were talking about earlier. Yeah.
2: I was wondering about the context. Now I get it. What
1: he did or didn't do with a dolphin is none of anybody's (laughs)
2: business. But he's old school, man. There's like, they have a lot of questions about Elvis to ask him, Barbara Streisand. How annoying was Barbara Streisand he, to work with? I can't talk about that. Look, I got to end the interview. I got to go take a Streisand.
4: <laughs> <laughs> know what I mean?
2: Uh, so Michelle Rubini will be joining us when we come back. Edzo's going to be talking about the Belmont at nine fifteen. We'll talk a little Stanley Cup with him as well. It's a DVE morning show. Randy Bauman along with Fal Porter, Bill Crawford. Want to remind you further on down the line, the DVE Halloween party this year we got Alice Cooper. That's pretty That's badass. Really a fun show. Tickets available now at Ticketmaster, Stage A.E. box office, and it's an inside show at Stage A.E. He usually plays outside, so this one's going to be packed and really looking forward to it. His band is always kick-ass. Oh, he always has the so best good. players. And that's one thing about Alice. While a lot of guys you know, just do what they can to maintain and just put the same show on, he's always kept it dynamic. He mm-hmm. keeps ri- like rotating players in who are always at the top of their game. It's the usually is like two or three guitar players. He
0: hasn't lost a step.
2: No, and he
0: still sounds awesome. And they're
2: the baddest guitar players. They're just totally kick ass. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be Friday, October twenty sixth, our Halloween party at Stage A E. And everyone's dressing up for this, right? Yeah, you gotta gotta do that. I'm gonna dress up like Shep Gordon, his former manager. Actually, his current <laughs> manager, I think. That'd be awesome, yeah. Supermensch. Yes, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go as the supermensch
4: <laughs>
2: and say, Alice, I've got
1: uh, a good news for you. Serena and I are going as Wayne and Garth. Oh,
2: perfect, <laughs> perfect. Alice Cooper theme. We're not worthy. Uh, or we're waiting uh, for Michelle Rubini, the Wrecking Crew artist who has the new book, Life in the Key of Rubini. Now, this guy worked with Sinatra, Elvis, and Sonny and Cher. He did a lot of work with Sonny Superstars. and Cher.
1: Superstars.
2: But like Sonny and Cher, the thing, it would piss me off to see Sonny Bono making all that money when he had not, just an idea for the song, mm-hmm. I Got You, Babe, and the Wrecking Crew musicians put it all together. And yeah, then it yeah, goes out a, they t- hit, t- a like, lot of people, didn't they? Yeah. If some of the guys in the Wrecking Crew looked at it like, well, eh, you know what? That's my job. I got a 9 to 5 gig, I don't care. Or right. or a you know 5 to 9 gig, however you look at it. I can work the,
0: with whoever. Right.
2: I smoke cigarettes all day, hang out with people I like, I get paid a lot of money. That's good enough for me. Meanwhile, they could have been cashing in on royalties in the millions for all of the hits that they did. So, uh, all right, well, we're waiting for him, but he's running late, Joe. Michelle Rubini has gotten more publicity on this show than he'd ever imagined already <laughs> just <laughs> from being late. See, Joe's in there str- oh He's so pissed right now because he feels like this is his. This is his. This, this is his, his baby. Guy. This is his guy. I love when they talked about, like,
1: working with Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, and they, they basically say, like, they completely give it up because they're like, look, we know – What we're doing. A lot of these artists would come in, have no idea how the arrangement was really supposed to go. And a lot of times we'd have to produce our own stuff. But when Brian Wilson came in, he knew every single part. He knew how it should be played. And he was relentless
2: in just having those guys
1: play it again and again and
2: again. And the funny thing about Brian Wilson with the Wrecking Crew is that in the Elton John documentary about the the album he made with Leon Russell, Leon Russell was in the Wrecking Crew for some of those Beach Boys sessions. And he has Brian Wilson come in to record some stuff on that Elton John, Leon Russell album. And in the documentary, Elton John in a black tracksuit, which he wore every day, one of those Adidas tracksuits. He's like, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. Brian Wilson is here today. He hasn't seen Leon in 30 years since he played on uh, uh, Help Me Rhonda and the kind of reunion. And it's wonderful. This is exactly what I wanted for, for Leon. And I'm so happy. And I can't wait to see the two of them together again. And for as much as, of a genius as Brian Wilson is, he's still Brian Wilson. So he's getting done with the cut. And Leon's not in the studio yet. And Brian Wilson, like, takes a handful of M&Ms. And he's like, okay, well, thanks, Elton. See you later. And he leaves the studio and walks outside. And there's Leon Russell. And you're thinking, like, oh, this is going to be a magical interaction. And he walks up to him. And Leon Russell looks at Brian Wilson. He goes, Hi, Leon. Go listen to what I played. And then he kept walking. <laughs> that was it. That was the big ring. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs>
6: 35 years later. All right, I'll
2: listen to it. Thanks. One of the guys in those sessions, of course, the aforementioned Michael... Michelle, rather, Rubini, who joins us right now. Good morning, Michelle. How are you?
6: Good morning. Fine. Thank you so much for having me
2: on the show. So we've been talking about this. How what camp were you in in the wrecking crew as it pertained to royalties did you think you should have been awarded royalties for songs that you essentially arranged as one of the wrecking crew musicians that went on to become big
6: hits well as far as arranging them yeah sure i thought i should have got royalties yeah (laughs) as far as actually playing on them you know we got paid really well as uh studio musicians and uh um you know, as a player, we didn't write them, we didn't arrange them, we didn't produce them, and and I didn't I didn't think that would be appropriate to uh, be paid, uh, you know, for those types of activities. I mean, the arrangers were writing the music out on paper and working hard. The producers, you know, are yeah, but fine, Sonny
2: Bono so. didn't, right? Oh, you did, write. Sonny, I mean, I know. I mean, I meant R I G H T, like correct, like Sonny Bono when he brought "I Got You, Babe." Did he have charts for you? No, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> he had, no. In three chords, and you guys made him a millionaire.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he'd roll over in his grave if he heard you say that. I,
2: I, I'm you know, <laughs> I, I I I love Sonny Bono, but I'm just saying I feel like the musicians got short shrift.
6: Oh uh, well, well, thank you. I'm sure at the time we all felt the same way, you know, (laughs) we weren't getting paid enough. Right. So I'll tell you one thing, I would much rather get paid for every session than I did, than than not get paid and take a a royalty position on the back end, because as you know, (laughs) the record companies were stealing the royalties Mm -hmm. left and right, so (laughs) we would have probably never get paid, and we would have starved to death. So. I was very happy to, uh, you know, pay for play.
2: (laughs) Well, when you did leave the studio, I mean, you worked with a lot of big names. I mean, Barbra Streisand, Frank Sinatra. You played the piano on Strangers in the Night, right? Right. Oh, man. I mean, that's as iconic of a part as there is. But you also worked with Frank Zappa, which fascinates me. What was the comparison you would make between Frank Zappa and some of those other huge names in other genres you worked with?
6: Well, obviously you're familiar with most of Zappa's music. Yeah. You know what it was like. Yes. And uh uh statistically um, dense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or sometimes statistically dunce.
4: Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right.
6: But he was doing that on purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like a, a a a joke to him. But he did have a serious side and and uh, and he wrote some uh, as he went on uh and he had the luxury uh, he wrote some pretty complicated music, and the guys in his band actually couldn't play it. They couldn't read it, and, and, and they just didn't have—they weren't good enough, you know, to— The original
2: play, Mothers play the you're trash. talking about. Yes. Not yes. the guys he'd go to work no. on, work with, like George Duke and the Brecker Brothers and people like that.
6: No, no, the the guys in the band that right. you know, that, that he played with, So uh, which he liked to use. Uh, in in the uh, in the studio and and whenever he could he would, but when he got um, when, when he got to writing um, you know odd things and odd time signatures and and stuff like that, and he had to get them on tape, uh, then he would call guys like me to come in and either augment the band the guys that he was using or he just have a whole other band, and the guys in the road crew just stayed at home.
2: Bill Spector did so many sessions with the Wrecking Crew. I'd imagine you were in a number of those.
6: I was on a few. <laughs> and his, sure.
2: his trajectory couldn't have surprised you any. That he's in jail right now, I'm guessing, doesn't surprise you.
6: No, that surprises me. It really does. He,
2: so he wasn't that crazy back then?
6: No. I would have, if, if you had asked me a, you know, a question, do you think he's going to bring a gun, gun to the studio and, you know, and shoot it off, I would have said absolutely not, not a chance it just it just wasn't him you know something happened to his brain as as time went on that just made him ill <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was it was really unfortunate cuz i really liked phil uh i I'd, he was a to me he was a good friend and uh and and he was a unique guy and i was always interested in in you know having the acquaintances of of unique individuals so um, you know somebody that i thought was special and he was certainly special and not in a bad way but he but he had a he had a um he was breaking his mind <laughs> you know doing what he was doing always trying to come up with a new sound and and uh whatever else was going on in his in his mind it was it was sort of un- it was very unfortunate and i i saw it, i saw you know evidence of that early on long before the long before he the, the uh, story about where he fired off his gun in the studio and and then later on fired his gun in his house uh, you know and and had an accident um, but I, I, I watched him go through his first mental breakdown you know on a on a track that we were doing over a gold star and after we'd been at it for like four hours um, uh, Larry Levine just got on the got on the talk back to the guys and said, "Okay, guys, that's a time to go home." But we hadn't recorded anything yet. We just we've been practicing, <laughs> you know. We've been like going over it and over and over and over it. And, over it. and uh, but but for some reason he he couldn't nail it down in the way that he wanted to because of because of the stress he was yeah. under. And, and all the guys just packed up and left. Uh, I stayed behind because I, I want, wanted to talk to him, and you know, I, I make, I, if anything, make him feel better. You know, have a conversation. And so I stayed on. But when I when I went to the control room, he was just sitting there in the corner, in the far corner, in a chair, and he was just sort of looking up at the speakers, and he wasn't saying anything. And I said, Phil, are you okay? And he didn't answer right away, but, but, but then he looked at me and He said, Oh, 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 yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I said, is there anything I can do? I mean, you know, and he went, No, I, I'm just, I'm fine. And, but he wasn't fine. Right. And, and, and he just, you know, Larry, uh, Larry Levine didn't, didn't play the track back. You know, he, he Larry just left the studio and he was sitting there. I mean, the control room, he was just, just by himself you know in some other world and
2: And that was the first that yeah. you saw the yeah. first time where it indicated maybe mentally he was starting to show a few cracks.
6: Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time.
1: Well, I wanted to ask you about that actually if the, so that 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 kind of rings true. I always thought it was a little bit of mythology the way he worked would he would just have guys rehearse for 3 4 hours w- without recording anything as a way to kind of get you guys all to to play as one to exhaust you to the point where you would create that wall of sound?
6: Well, I don't think that he. Okay. I don't think that he actually rehearsed us to the point of exhaustion so he, we would play the wall of sound. He was just so inconsistent in what he was looking for as a sound. It just took him forever to, <laughs> to, 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 yeah. to get to the point where it sounded good to him. I, I think if he had had a little more musical training uh, uh, and, and, and thought about what he was doing before he got into the studio, that he would have been able to proceed much faster once he was in the studio.
4: Uh-huh. Uh,
6: but, but he, he just didn't really, he didn't really have an idea, uh, I mean, as far as a preconceived idea uh, of, of what he wanted. He would go into the studio and start experimenting, and then that's what he was doing. I mean, we would, you know, we would start the song with, you know, any song, uh, and we would start the song with the intro, and it might, the intro might be like, boom, 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 backbeat, boom, 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 well, he wasn't satisfied to let the basses play that and let the drum answer. He wanted to hear it with a combination of basses and maybe a couple of guitars, so then, you know, the guitars would play along with it. And then he'd say, okay, listen, I don't like that, so let's have two basses <laughs> and three guitars and... and a one cello, of a tuba. Yeah, uh,
2: and, yeah.
6: yeah <laughs> and you guys try it. Yeah. And, th- and then we'll do the backbeat with the with the, the tambourine and, and the bells. And, <laughs> and he would go through every conceivable, you know, uh, every conceivable combination of, of music uh, just to get the boom, 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 boom. boom you know and and if he'd been prepared uh if he had any real uh idea of what it was he was looking for he he would have known you know and 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 so he would it wouldn't have taken him so long to get that far so really <laughs> that 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 whole thing about not not being able to proceed with the music uh you know fairly fast uh and and you know hear the track and get it going and and, and, and make your record, it was really because he just wasn't prepared musically. he didn't know what he, he didn't know what he wanted and, and, and once he found it, he didn't remember it like for the next session.
2: Really. You, were, uh, you were part of both the Loggins and Messina touring band and Seals and Crofts yeah. touring band. If yeah. the two of them uh, were in a cage match, who wins the fight between Loggins and Messina versus Seals and Crofts? <laughs> who is the Who were the tougher well, hombres? If
6: was, well, if it was a cage, if it was a cage match, Logans and Messina would have won. <laughs> but, if, but, but, but if it was a musical cage match. Then uh, Seals and Crofts would have Oh, no you. kidding.
2: That's Hey, all right. Seals and Crofts getting their due there. Now, this book, uh, Saw Life in the Key of Rubini, available now at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, michaelrubini.com, and it, it details your exploits through this uh, Los Angeles music scene during the most seminal uh, point in music history. Uh, everybody from Elvis to Ann Margaret yeah. to Ginger Baker to Jim Neighbors, Barbara Streisand, Frank Sinatra. I mean, you worked <laughs> with
6: everybody. Yeah, I did. I <laughs> heard just about everybody. I, I, I sort of amazed myself when I started um, thinking back, you know, on the people that I'd worked with. I was trying to work up a list, and uh, um, it's still not complete, but, but I've, I've gotten it, you know, a little closer now to, to what it was. It, it was just a whole bunch of people.
2: Well, the last question I want to ask you before I let you go if you had sure. to walk into a session at the Wrecking Crew what would be your what if they said they said michelle you pick the guys you're going to record this song we're going in and uh we're going to do a uh a sunny and share song which guys would do you pick to be in that band which members of the wrecking crew is your ideal all-star
6: oh uh, well i would have picked i would have had first of all i would have had four guitar players okay and and uh they, they would have consisted of of Don Peake and Tommy Tedesco and and um, Tommy Tedesco's uh,
2: son did the Wrecking Crew uh, yeah, film, yeah, the documentary, yeah, yeah,
6: and and Barney Kessel and Howard Roberts, uh, those four guys, and uh, and and obviously, or uh, not, not so obvious, Mike Post, uh, legendary Mike, Mike Post, yeah, composer, because, yeah, because Mike uh, played really good really good folk picking 12 string guitar you know I, I i i got them on the sunny and share sessions uh because because uh, no one knew the guys didn't know how to uh i mean the guys who were there did not specialize in in finger picking you know folk songs and uh and and they didn't uh, actually most of them didn't really carry a 12 string guitar around with them and Sonny had this idea that he wanted to have a, a 12-string guitar, you know. And I said, you know, I know a guy that can that can do that. <laughs> Mike had a little group that he'd been playing in coffee houses around. I like, I'd known him since he was like 16 years old. Right? And I said, l- you know, l- l- let me call Mike. I'll bring him in. And say, he
2: arranged classical gas there. back when he was like a kid,
4: right?
6: Yes. Yeah. yeah he got a Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even... At that point, he didn't even know how to write for a band. He... he he had, he, had, he had made a couple of uh, uh, a couple of records. You know, he had some success with uh, a little group he had, and they they recorded a thing called "Just Stopped In" to uh, see how my, what condition my condition is in. The grassroots and, and uh, or... uh, 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 no, it was Kenny Loggins. Oh, uh, excuse geez. me, Ken, Kenny Kenny Rogers in the in the fifth. Something or other. The
2: one that's in the Big Lebowski, yeah, I know. It's I know what song yeah. you're talking
6: about. You know, and and so, uh, so I, I actually had to loan him the score paper to write that to write that 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 music because he didn't he didn't even have the score paper to write the arrangement down on. So so it was uh, you know that was a that was sort of an unusual thing. But he the had this first idea.
2: edition was the name of that band. Yeah.
6: It, yes, the first edition. They're exactly right. And uh, but but Mike was a good 12-string guitar player, so I brought him in, and, and then he became a mainstay of the of the Sonny and Cher uh, sessions because of that of that electric harp, you know, or mm-hmm. or, or acoustic 12-string guitar, the way he fingerpicked it. And the,
2: so, who do you put on bass? Uh,
6: well, bass was uh, usually it was Lyle Ritz uh, playing stand-up bass, and he would have uh, he would have um, Ray Pullman playing the Dano six-string bass, and and he would have uh, somebody else playing um, electric bass. He he always had three bass players. It was acoustic bass, electric bass, and and Dano bass guitar, and he mixed those things together. Um, There was a guy named Jimmy Bond uh, that, that that also played acoustic bass. And uh, sometimes he would play acoustic bass. How much I, would it
2: cost to put one of these recording sessions together today?
6: Well, I don't know. I can tell you that in 1992, when Phil came out of retirement, uh, he wanted to make a record, and uh, he had a he, whoever was working for him at the time booked a studio in L.A. and and he he gathered most of the musicians as many. of of the guys that he could from the crew the original crew to do the record and uh, and me being one of them and and it happened to be done on my birthday uh... uh, it was on December 3rd and and uh, so I hadn't seen any of the guys in 20 years uh... and they got a new studio because Gold Star was long gone and they piled us all in there um... along with a couple of other people uh... um... Paul Schaefer from Back East, from the mm-hmm. Letterman show, and yeah. Jungle that <laughs> they were on the session too. And uh, and at the end of the night, uh, after we'd been there about three hours, uh, and nothing was recorded, by the way, that night. But but after we'd been there about three hours, he called the session, and I I, I went in to talk to him, to, you know, find out what was
4: yeah, what's going on, what
6: was wrong. And uh, and he happened to mention that he had just spent $50,000 for,
2: <laughs> <laughs> for you guys to have coffee.
6: <laughs> for, for, yeah. And I told him, Phil, I said, you may not have gotten a recording this this evening, but I have to thank you because this has been the most special <laughs> birthday party I could have <laughs> ever had.
2: Michelle Rubini, Life in the Key Rubini. It's the new book, Get It at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere they sell books. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I can't wait to dive into the book. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you. Okay, Bye-bye. we'll see you guys.
1: Dude, true story. I got my first headshots. My dad was like, you know, this photographer that I work with will take some headshots for you. He, we went up on this roof, and he was like, uh, go stand over by that uh, that air conditioner. And I was like, why? He's like, I think it'll give it some good contrast. So I have headshots of me just crouching down behind. An air conditioner. An industrial. <laughs> he's like, hey, pick up some of those rocks. I'm like, why? I'm not. I'm <laughs> trying to. I'm trying to be an actor. He's a
2: he's a funny guy. <laughs> uh, he can uh, fix your heating and cooling needs, and if you need him to uh, carry stones,
0: play a giant.
2: He can uh, he can play a Palestinian. In he's movie. got a good
6: grip. Randy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show.
2: What's up, Val? Sorry, we went long, but Michelle Rubini, that dude was interesting. Oh, you could yeah. do like a three-hour podcast with him, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: well, I blew out all my news because I figured we were going to go right to Edzo.
2: Blow it back in.
0: All right, uh, <laughs> here's a Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast, and it is brought to us by Dormont Appliance. i do I think you might be right, Bill. Yeah, I there's, think it's there's going to be cover. some
1: clown cover today. Does that mean that everybody should uh, break out a tent, <laughs> or I don't know what that means.
0: Uh, It is uh, 50 degrees now at DVE, the news brought to us by the new PPG Science Pavilion at Carnegie Science Center built to inspire. 24-7 Wall Street has released its annual 50 Worst Cities to Live in the United States. And uh, for the second year in a row, Detroit at the top. The report describes Detroit as a poster child of American post-industrial decline. Detroit has a close cousin in the state with Flint, Michigan, ranking the second worst city in the country to live. One of the factors is that more than 44 percent of Flint's residents live below the poverty line. That's the highest poverty rate of any city in the country. Home value and college grads were among other factors considered. St. Louis, Missouri, Las Vegas, Nevada, Memphis, Tennessee round out the top five. Almost half of Americans say porn is morally acceptable. A new Gallup uh, poll study says that 43% of Americans think porn is A-OK morally that's a seven percent increase since a year ago it's the highest level recorded since the survey started seven years ago the study found 53 percent of democrats think it's morally uh, acceptable but only 27 percent of republicans feel that way
2: a hundred percent use it 27 percent think that
1: way. well the porn they're wearing condoms now they're being morally responsible
0: Uh, A doctor making headlines for uh, detecting a woman's cancer after seeing her on television. A surgeon from New York said he was watching HDTV's Uh, HGTV's beachfront bargain hunt when he noticed that one of the potential homebuyers of the show had a lump on her throat. He knew it to be a thyroid mass, so he tracked her down on Facebook and convinced her to get tested and she found out she had thyroid cancer. Holy cow. The woman is now undergoing treatment. It's not the first time a physician has detected cancer while watching HGTV.
1: The host of Flip or Flop.
0: Yeah, Tariq Al Moussa was treated for throat cancer after a nurse noticed a lump on his throat during an episode in 2015. Another HGTV HGTV show Fixer Upper paying the EPA for mishandling lead-based paint.
1: Uh oh, on the, the
0: silos. The EPA and uh, uh, accused Chip and Joanna Gaines of breaking federal rules on their show by failing to adequately prevent lead exposure for workers and residents. Their company Magnolia Homes agreed this way uh, this week to pay a $40,000 fine, along with spending another $160,000 on lead abatement work in their home base of Waco, Texas, they also have to put out a safety video about the dangers of lead paint.
1: That's nothing for them. I mean, that's that's one oh. house. That that show is infuriating. Like I love it. I love their style and everything, but that the house the house the market in Waco is they're like oh yeah this house uh, they want 120,000 and since you guys have a budget of 800,000 that gives right. you an all in budget mm-hmm. and uh you you know you got 600 grand to play with for renovations it's like well why not just build a house yeah what are you guys doing
2: i only watched one episode of that and it was in hawaii and uh the prices really? of houses what really that no. i don't it's no. It's a different show. No, it's a different show. Yeah. Because oh. the flip uh, upper Hunters. is only in Waco. Oh, it's right. only in Waco?
0: Yeah, I think you watched House Hunters.
2: Yeah, that whatever. I, I don't watch that channel too much, but I watched that and I could not believe how much homes were in Honolulu. Uh yeah. Like tiny. Tiny Houses, eight hundred grand. Hey, did you ever watch the t- tiny
1: houses? Like that, that <laughs> there's show? there's a show called Tiny Houses? Yeah. Isn't there? Mm hmm. Yeah. How much are them? People live, I mean, way too much. Way too much. Yeah,
0: for a tiny house.
1: Yeah. It's like 75, 80 grand for a house that, you know, if you ordered a large pizza, you'd have to eat it outside. <laughs> <laughs> you fart in it and everybody can't go in there for a week. <laughs>
0: Clear. And finally, Oprah Winfrey sharing her excitement over her upcoming exhibit at the Smithsonian. Items from Winfrey's Life and former TV show will be on display at the Museum of African-American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. That all starts this Friday. She told TMZ the new exhibit is goals and something she never thought was possible. Forecast today, partly sunny, only going to be in the upper 60s. It's 51 at DVE.
2: Joining us right now, ladies and gentlemen, longtime friend of the DVE Morning Show, the one and only, Eddie Olchek, Edzo! Good morning. Hey, good, morning.
8: Edzo. good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing in the Berg?
2: Good, man. How good. are you?
8: I'm doing well. I'm on the uh, I'm on the road, just getting ready. I stopped home and uh, reloaded, and I'm um, on my way out to, uh, I'm out to Vegas for uh, Game 5 uh when is that tomorrow right thursday yeah, yeah. and then uh <laughs> and then uh head back east for the Belmont on saturday so uh great time of year pucks and ponies and uh feeling good and uh looking forward to uh looking forward to a big weekend of sports action
2: edzo uh, we're also thrilled to hear that you're in in good health and i i told these guys i was in chicago visiting relatives uh, over the holidays, and one of the local affiliates, the NBC affiliate there, had done a story on you, and I knew that you had been diagnosed. I had no idea how severe it was at that point until I wa- yeah. watched that segment, and yeah. I was just shook because I didn't either. I didn't process it, or I didn't understand how severe things were for you. To hear now that things uh, are. Uh, uh, go and and you're in good shape It's just, I I can't tell you how relieved all of Pittsburgh is for you.
8: Well, I I appreciate that, Rand. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a stop you in your tracks moment. Uh, One day I I woke up and, I mean, quite frankly, I I couldn't go to the bathroom. And next thing you know, uh, they're telling me that I have uh, a blockage in my lower colon and uh, we need to go get it. And, you know, two days later, I'm having a six-hour surgery, removing 14 inches of my colon and a tumor the size of my fist, and then they had to send it out. So, obviously, from the day of my surgery to August the 4th at 7.07 p.m., when my doctor called me and told me I had State Street colon cancer, those were the longest four days of my life, yeah. not knowing, you know, obviously... Preparing for the worst, and anytime you see a doctor's office or a hospital call you on a Friday night after seven o'clock, it's probably not a good thing. And when that phone rang, it came up on our television, Northwestern Hospital here in Chicago. And I mean, I let it—I let the phone ring six or seven times, and my wife had to happen to be standing next to me, and she said if you going to answer it, and and I didn't want to answer because I knew what was on the other line, what was on the other end, and. Dr. Strong uh, told me that it was stage three colon cancer and we're recommending six months of chemo. And I mean, it was a battle. And look, I, I, I know I am so very lucky to be on the right side of this because there are so many, sadly, so many millions of people out there that have it way worse and are having it way worse off than any than old tech ever did. But it it at first, I wanted to just kind of hide under a rock. I, I, I wanted to just, I just feel like I let everybody down. I let my wife down. I let my kids down. Uh, I, let, I let you know the people at NBC down on hockey and horse racing, uh, all my friends in in, in hockey, um, you know, the Blackhawks because I do their games locally. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, the effect
2: I, of getting I, sick made you feel like you were letting people down.
8: I did. I, I just felt like I, I was, you know, going to be be a burden on everybody, and I didn't want people to be, you know, have this on their shoulders. And and I, I just like I said, it just I, I just felt I felt less. You feel weak because that's what happens, Rand, When you get struck with this disease, is you you feel, you know, you, you feel like you are a burden. You feel like you're letting people down. At least that's how I felt. Look, and talking to hundreds and hundreds of cancer patients is that a lot of the similarities were there and you just you just feel like you know you you know you don't want people to feel sorry for you and like I said you don't want other people to hurt and worry about you because everybody has their own lives to live and you know once it became public it was almost I almost felt relieved that it was out there and because what had happened was is I started missing some public appearances and I started putting people in, in some bad spots. And again, we didn't know what was going on, right? Like we didn't know if, you know, if it was going to be nothing or if it was going to be the worst. And, and then when we, when we became public, uh, you know, after the diagnosis, it was almost like, okay, it's out there and everybody knows and there's nothing to hide from. And, and then when you're in the so-called public eye, it's it's hard to go quiet. And, you kind of want to control the message, right? And I think that that's what we did, and I think we did in a very respectful and professional way. And the outpour of, of people—I mean, you guys, your station, the people in the Berg, the great Penguin fans, the Penguin organization, uh, my former, or my my former. PR man, Kito, Keith Wayner was there every step of the way, checking in on me. Little Buckaroo was always calling and, <laughs> and, and making, sure, uh, making sure that I was okay. And, look, I, mean, I was very lucky to have the support. And I couldn't have done it by myself, really. I mean, I had incredible support, not only from my doctors, my family. My wife was there every step of the way. And the one thing I did learn a lot about this is that the caretakers and the caregivers, that are, are, are dealing with people of, of, of illness or sick or disease, they are going through a lot as well. And, and, you know, I never saw my wife weak. Like, I never saw her emotional around me. Now, I'm sure she had her moments away from me where she wondered, like, you know, what the hell is going to happen to him? Is he going to be okay? Are we going to have to live with this? You know, how long? And I'm sure that she had those moments, but she never she never let her guard down around me. And and that really helped me get through a six months of hell because there were a couple of times where during my treatments and everybody has side effects when they go through chemo or radiation. For me, it was, you can't control your bathroom issues, vomiting, nosebleeds, neuropathy, uh, severe headaches. I mean, all those things. And, and I got to treatment two or three and I, I was, it was just I'm like, how in the hell am I going to get to February 21st when it's the second week of September? Like, how am I going to get there? And there were times, look, I'm not embarrassed to say this. I, there were times when I was ready to pack it in because I, I just like, how can I live like this? Like, how do people live like this, taking this chemo every two weeks? And for me, it was every other Monday for 48 hours. I would go home with it. They'd come unhook me every, you know, every other every other Wednesday And my wife just grabbed me one day by the short hairs and just looked at me right in the eyes and just said, fight for me, fight for our kids, and fight for all the people that love you. And having an emotional cry after that, it put everything in perspective and and she helped me get along. And, you know, I, I want my story out there because I want to try to keep people away from having to go through what I did. And look, they told me if I would have had a colonoscopy when I was 45, they would have kept me from having to go through six months of hell. And wow. prior to the last couple of weeks, I don't know if you guys saw this story or yes. not. Yes. I mean, it was 50 years old where they recommended colonoscopies at 50. They just changed the age to 45, which I think is just flat out awesome. And I want people out there to, you know, raise their hand if they're not feeling well. Like, it's okay. Uh, to raise your hand and say, you know what? Geez, I'm not feeling good. I need to go see a physician. I need to see you go doc, you know, go see a doctor. Don't try to self, uh, you know, uh, uh go on the internet and, and try to become a doctor and, and self diagnose, you know, what you think you might have. Get in there, see your doctor. And, and I'm hoping that my story, you know, will resonate with people and, and they'll get checked out when need be and, and hopefully keep people away from it. Because I'll tell you, it is psychologically, it is awful physically. Uh as you get through the treatments, I'm not saying it gets better because it doesn't, but it's much more tolerable once you get through four or five treatments, at least it did for me. Uh but I couldn't be more thankful for all the support because on August the fourth at seven oh seven PM when they told me I had stage three colon cancer, probably was not it was the worst day of my life. And then on March the fourteenth at five oh four PM when my oncologist, Doctor Mary Mulcahy, he called me and said I was cancer free, uh, was probably the greatest phone call I've ever received.
2: Oh man. You know, and not to believe the point. It's so great the way you're discussing it and you're talking about the stuff that previously for some reason people didn't want to talk about like the right. like the right. the taboo right. aspects of it all like uh here's the thing, I couldn't go to the bathroom. Right. Like uh right. you know, and yeah. then during treatment, yeah. here's all the ugly stuff that happens. And yeah. and by painting that picture and making people realize, you yeah. know, cuz yeah. they don't like to confront that in their own life when it's happening. Yeah.
8: No, that's for sure, Rand. And and one last thing, too, is like, you know, look, I, it, there there was no family history with us. So, I mean, it was a stop you in your tracks moment. Like, it, it was. And, again, I mean, we've been very lucky. Uh, our family and the people within, you know, we all have a circle. In and, and our circle, we've, we've never been around this horrible disease. And, look, the hardest thing was, was, you know, finding out, was, was this something that I was born with? Uh was this something that I absorbed over time, and you know those four days from my surgery to getting that call and telling me that I had stage three colon cancer i'm I, again psychologically, I'm wondering, okay, well, if I do have cancer if if I pass this on to my kids, and like that was that that was a long four days to think about that, you know, could, could I have, could I be the carrier and in, 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 in pass this on to my kids? Like th- that, living with that, and people have to live with that and go through that, and that is the most difficult thing out of the whole thing. I could take the pounding, I could take the, the sickness and, and having to run to the bathroom every two minutes and, and not controlling things you're so... You know, you take for granted, but, you know, to think about those type of things. And, look, it was hard at the start to not, like I said, self-diagnose. And I promised myself I I would not try to, you know, figure these things out with, you know, just let the medical people do their job and tell me. Tell me what I need to know, not what I want to hear. Please tell me that. If it's whatever it is, please tell me. But, you know, those are the things that, you know, you, you live with. And that's why you I felt like I did that's why I felt like i you know i i could tell my kids to come down the stairs and and to to look at them and tell them and and look i mean it's it's unconditional love without question, regardless but it that was hard because you know they look at you a certain way and again it's perception it's it's psychological it's like you know like how is this going to affect the people around me? And, uh, I, I, my message out there to people is to know that, you know, like the, the caretakers and your families, let them take care of you because that's what family is. And I was lucky enough to have a family. I felt like I haven't had a family of, of millions because of all the hockey people and horse racing people and the fans and, uh, you know, our broadcast family and, you know, people in the media and just, you know, I I got people who got my phone number to say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm Joe from, uh, you know, I'm Joe from Toronto. I just want to let you know, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And okay, Joe, I don't, you know, I don't even know Joe from Toronto, but he's got my number and uh, he's wishing <laughs> me well. And that, and that really meant a lot. And, and I truly meant that is when we, you know, when I went public and said that I was cancer free is that I, I said specifically verbatim is that we did it. And I really believe it was an incredible effort of, a lot of incredible people that helped me along the way because a lot of people don't know how to transcribe their feelings to somebody that is sick and nothing worse than to avoiding that person or to not wanting to bother them. Trust me. I wanted to be bothered. I wanted to get those texts from Mikey wondering who I liked in the fifth race at Belmont on that one (laughs) October day. Like that, like that meant a lot. And it's, it's It's hard to explain, but the best way to say it is is that it means a lot when people reach out, regardless of how short or how long it may be it 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 helps pass this time because I had enough quiet time to last me a lifetime for six months and and again, my goal and mission now is to help rid us of this horrible disease, but also to make people aware of my story without being overbearing and to let them know that hey, this is what I went through, and again, everybody's side effects are different and I've talked to many, many people that are are battling this disease, and again, it's just hey, you know, like I'm with you. You know, it's a, it's a it's a pat on the back, it's a hug, it's a it's a text, it's a phone message. It's just like, look, you're not alone. Trust me, you're not alone because I never felt alone, and that meant a lot.
2: Edzo, I'm going to take a commercial break, and I'm going to record your uh, your thoughts on the Belmont this weekend and uh, Stanley Cup here while we are in the commercial break. And We'll be right back more with Edzo coming up on DVE. DVE Sports. All right, Edzo, let's talk let's talk horses first of all. How unlucky was uh, Justify drawn a rail there for Saturday?
8: No, I don't think so. I don't. I think he's super tactical. Rand. that that is not. That is not a problem for me. He could have, uh, you know, he could have draw, uh, drawn post position fifteen, and it wouldn't matter to me. You're going a mile and a half. The first mile, you plod along, get in position. You're galloping along, and it becomes a half mile run. That, that's what a mile and a half race is. And you got money, Mike Smith, on his back. So one hole, fifteen hole, doesn't matter. Uh, Justify uh, is the real deal, and he'll be able to overcome any uh, any post position.
2: So you you like the tri- Triple Crown to happen regardless of weather this Saturday? I do. I, I do. I think
8: he is the best horse. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people think he's vulnerable coming off that Preakness. They thought that the Brabazzo, who is also in the Belmont, uh, would have went by him if the race was a little longer at the Preakness. I don't think so. I think he wrapped up the last 70 yards when he had good magic, uh, you know, beaten. He knew that. Uh, but I just think this horse is uh, a class of ahead of everybody else, ran, And at the end of the day, uh, he's going to have to run his race. But to me, uh, I think we're going to see our second Triple Crown in four years.
2: Okay. Uh, let's move swiftly to hockey. Yeah. Game yeah. Uh, four, five, sorry, five. Yeah. coming up yeah. tomorrow night in Vegas. I told uh, Mikey earlier, you know, there are some 3-1 deficits. That you think, eh, they can even this one up. Uh, it yeah. seems to me like things had started rolling downhill for the Caps after game one.
8: Yeah, it's, I mean, look, I, I think they should have deserved a better fate in game one. Uh, this series could easily be over. Uh, you know, Ryan Reeves should have got a penalty on the game tying goal when he cross-checked John Carlson. But look, they took advantage of a missed call, and uh, they did win game one. But the Capitals got it going. The thing that's impressed me the most about them is they're checking. They are checking extremely well. You think about the Caps, you think they're going to be a wide open Yeah, they can play that offensive type of game, but they really check. I think Penguins fans saw that in game six of their series where they really, really stymied the Penguins. Yeah, the Penguins got some looks in that game six, but how they had success and how they're only one win away from the Stanley Cup is because of their checking. I do expect a high-scoring game, though, there tomorrow in Vegas. I do. I I think that Vegas is going to push. They're going to play a wide-open game. I wouldn't be surprised if they got a lead. Uh, But I expect a wide-open game, and uh, the Caps are one win away from uh, hoisting their first-ever Stanley Cup.
5: Eddie, the Caps are in position to win. They deserve to be in position to win. They look like the best team. But they started the playoffs with a different goalie, and they lost their first two games. How do you wrap your head around that?
8: It's sports, Mikey, right? It's sports. It's just the way that it is. Yeah. Think about where they came from. And everybody thought they were done like dinner, right? They lost the first two games at home to Columbus. They're, you know, their number one goaltender wasn't even starting. And they went four straight, and the rest is history. Look, they won in some tough places. I mean, they've been resilient. Down 2, down two nothing to Columbus. They finally take out the Penguins. And then they were... Down against Tampa, and they win a Game Seven on the road to get to the Stanley Cup Final. And oh yeah, by the way, they lost Game One to the Stanley Cup Final, and now they've won three in a row. So, they're battle-tested, uh, to me, tremendous, tremendous uh, job by Barry Trotz and his staff to get this team. And look, the players have bought in, and uh, Ovi has been a uh, he's been a wrecking machine along with Kuznetsov. So uh, when your best players are just that, and they bought in, and they're doing the little things. Great things are going to happen, and the Caps are on the verge of uh, winning their first Family Cup.
2: If you were handing out the con Smythe right now, who'd get it?
8: Well, I mean, I would probably give it to Kisnetsov, Uh, but, you know, it's hard to argue Olby with, what, 14, 15 goals, whatever he has. So, I mean, 1 1A, you know, I would imagine the masses would probably go with Olby because of the name, but Ciznetsov's been pretty good, boy, man. And, you know, maybe, you no, know, look, maybe if he has a five point game, in Game Five, maybe he could, uh, you know, upset the apple cart. But I think, as far as oh, uh, well, we are. If you had to put the money down, then the right. So with the grade eight, right
2: now. I mean, I don't have to put the money down, but I might. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Join the club, Rand. Join the club, pal.
2: <laughs> hey, Eddie, uh, if you were still in a uh, position
5: of authority with the Penguins, would you be? Trying to trade Phil Kessel right about now, or would you be trying to work out whatever issues exist and move forward with him?
4: Yeah,
8: I mean, not knowing the latter part of that, Mikey, but look, it it is tough to find guys that can score goals, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. It is hard to find guys. Now, salary cap's going up a little bit. You You do need some help on the back end. You do have some young guys that seem like that they've taken that next step. Um, you know, do you have enough offense if you would just, just, just simply just play? You know, just play that game, or you just pull them out of the lineup. Okay, what does my lineup look without player A or player B? Okay, what does he look like when he's back in the lineup? Or you take another player out. So, look you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's been a heck of a run there. Change is inevitable. You know, Mr. Rutherford's not afraid to take some chances and and be aggressive. So, you know, whatever he thinks is best for the franchise. But, again, I I would be very careful of, uh, of moving out a guy that you know needs one or two chances to put the puck in the back of the net. And those guys are very, very hard to find.
2: Edzo, good health, good luck, and great hockey talk. Thanks so much it's the D V E morning show ran late all day today but it was well worth it to hear from edzo and uh, very emotional and and uh, hard-hitting stuff there from him and a salient poignant message that he delivered there
0: a lot of people choking back tears on that oh no doubt about
2: it uh mark madden joining us right now don't expect the same result folks (laughs)
9: largely preempted by edzo but that's okay because it's edzo
2: right if it's edzo it's okay if it's
9: somebody i haven't heard of which you've done before what if i had rob
2: (laughs) rossi on talking about barry trotz that long
9: I'd have been pissed.
2: You'd have been pissed? Yeah. He's a, your contemporary, though.
9: What's he with not City Paper?
2: Yeah. He did do the Barry Trotz video that, I don't know, maybe he wants to take that one back. What, where he kind
9: of cut the heel promo on Barry Trotz? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And he's like, you're
9: never going to win. You're never going to win. They're pretty damn close right now, Mark. Well, at any rate, I'm glad to hear Edzo's good. good. Uh, although th- this year he gave me a bum Kentucky Derby pick. His guy came in third, so I yeah, but he had the him. trifecta. Of course he did, because he always wins. The guy wins money every race he bets. <laughs> now, one of these years, I'm just gonna Edzo. I'm gonna fly to your house, hand you a thousand bucks, bet it however you see fit. I'll be back for whatever return there is in a week.
4: <laughs>
2: I got a I got one minute of yelling at the TV for the Preakness, where I was in it. I had I had it boxed, and then my uh, the one horse just fell out, and I was. Thought about it, I'm like, it's not a bad way to gamble. You know, you get a little bit of excitement.
5: His Derby pick had a shot till the very end. It was well, right it, in the thick of it. At, yeah. at
9: least, the, at least the horse has a chance for the Triple Crown. If if there's no chance for the Triple Crown, the last race is just meaningless, just about. Yeah, the
2: ratings have to be terrible. When yeah, right. No... I mean,
9: you know, the same network televises all of them, right? Yeah. So well, they're they're you know in it for the long haul, but that, still,
2: Edzo, it's NBC. I mean, he does all those races now. He's going to Vegas for and ponies. game five tomorrow night, and then he's going to uh, back to New York. Uh, all right, so what do you like uh, going on in Vegas tomorrow night?
9: I think Vegas has just run out of gas, finally. I-, I think they've hit a wall. I think Washington saved their best for last, which is really all winning the Stanley Cup's about, is you know performing your best in the playoffs, and they've gotten better as the playoffs have gone on. I think for, for Pittsburgh hockey fans, the most significant development of the final is maybe the Penguins didn't look so bad. Maybe it wasn't such a great disaster losing the Washington Capitals. Uh, if you look at the stats, Matt Murray's played better than any goalie has against the Capitals in these playoffs. Mark andre Fleury really struggled. Not his fault because the Caps are making that one extra pass, and the Vegas defense isn't picking the man up. They're, really, they're on the doorstep for really all these goals. Really poor defensive zone coverage. And uh, the Penguins also contain Kuznetsov better than any team to this point. He has 31 points, which is a load of points, so... Uh, if Washington wins the championship, it'll be it'll be well deserved and and I give Ovi credit. I, I don't want to see the porn girl, you know, bask in the Stanley Cup. Media Khalifa. See the, I don't want to see the washed up ESPN. Uh, I think she does weather in Des Moines now, bask in the glory of the Stanley Cup. But for Ovi, it'll be very well earned.
2: PFT commenter will get to celebrate. So that'll Is be he nice. a Caps fan? Oh yeah, yeah, huge. And
1: it'll be more Russians in the White House. <laughs> Which Trump will probably deny altogether. They didn't come here. What are you talking about?
9: He'll overdub Ovi when he talks with <laughs> with some farm boy accent from from Nebraska or something like that.
2: Flurry is. Did he already accomplish everything he needed to? And is this all gravy, or is there still something for him to uh, uh, prove in the eyes of some people in the NHL in terms in of terms his of what, legacy?
9: I'll go further than that. I think that that what Mark's done this year with with Vegas has guaranteed him a spot in the, in the Hall of Fame. I, I think he was always going to get there gradually because, you know, the amount of wins. He's going to rank, what, third all-time in wins mm-hmm. probably by the time his career's over. But But to win three Cups in Pittsburgh and be a big part of two of them, and then to go to Vegas and backstop an expansion team to the Stanley Cup Final and put up the numbers, he did career-best numbers, during the regular season. Five
2: think, Stanley Cup appearances already.
9: Yeah, I, I think that guarantees him a spot in the Hall of Fame and, and very well deserve it. He's proven, I mean, I already knew this was true, but he's proven that it's not just he was the goalie on a great team. He was a great goalie on a great team. Now he's a great goalie on a, on a pretty good team, and look how far he's taken him.
4: Yeah.
2: You have thoughts on that, trip No. Okay. <laughs> look like you were... Uh...
9: They don't call him the best color man in the business for nothing, folks. Well, No, um, I
2: just all the cup talk. It's
5: like, and, and I agree... With Mark, he contributed when when he won the nine playoff games, but he did not play a minute in the final those two years that the Penguins won the Cup. Yeah, big so, co- big like, contributor last year, though. Vegas is banging that drum. He's a three-time Cup champion. I'm not going there with him. And I think oh, he t- is, though. To your point, does he have anything left to, to do? He he needs, I think, maybe to win another Cup. No,
9: locked on Hall of Fame, guaranteed, yeah, yeah, no I'll, problem.
5: I'll buy that, but he probably wants to win another Cup where he's actually you know in the game.
9: No, I think an exciting race is. My IQ against Sean Rodriguez is batting
5: average.
2: Okay, so close right now. 166
9: to 163.
2: He's on your heels. It's
9: anybody's ball game. No, actually, he's fading fast.
2: Mike was at the game last night. He said they booed him on his way up to the plate.
9: Good. They should boo him on his way out of town. He is a rotten player. He doesn't deserve to be in the major leagues. He should never start a game. He should be D F. Aid. That should be the chant tonight at uh, at PNC Park. DFA, DFA. <laughs> you 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 dozen or so people that are going to go. I want to hear you do it. DFA, DFA. And by the way, that's the big story. Only only twelve k sold last night. A fraction of that showed up. Uh, the owner's going to react to that. He wants to make x amount of dollars. He's going to react to the low attendance. You watch. How trade Harrison. You think? Yeah, for sure. Hmm? Well, you know, he's not done great. We got these other guys. We're in a rebuilding. And they might even use the word rebuilding just to testify getting Harrison's ticket out of town. Oh, you bet that's going to happen.
2: If uh, Gun comes back up, maybe.
9: There's the excuse. And, like, Rodriguez should never start. If you want to have him as the 25th guy on the roster, the mascot because he once beat up the water cooler and <laughs> barely ever play him, that's okay. But to start him a third of the games when he's striking out a third of the times and booting the ball all over the field like he's already left for the World Cup, it, it just it, – it honestly, <laughs> if you're a fan of the franchise, his presence in the lineup as often as takes place should be embarrassing.
1: A lot of people revere him. I mean, they just – Well, they found his image on a on a horseshoe crab, I think.
9: <laughs> Is that true?
2: That was Jesus. Oh. Uh, sorry. You get the feeling now if Sean Rod would go at the Gatorade cooler, he would swing, miss, fall down, and the cooler would fall on his head repeatedly.
9: I believe that was the last time he made solid contact. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Benz
2: on uh, The X, 105.9 The X this afternoon. Listen to him. Sorry, uh, we ran super late today. I got to cut the segment. Oh, this was great. Uh, uh, yeah, it was short it was,
9: and sweet, very punchy. Yes, a
2: lot of... A lot of Good word there, punchy. Good content. Uh, thanks to Mark. Thanks to Edzo. Thanks to Michelle Rubini from The Wrecking Crew. That was a great interview. Could have had that guy on for three hours. Uh, and uh, also thanks to uh, Mr. Wednesday, Jeff Conkle. Tomorrow on the show. Mayor Bill Peduto, Peduto, is going to be calling in. He uh, he wanted to be on the show tomorrow for, for some reason, so he has something on his mind, something what's, he wants to talk what's, about. What's
1: on his mind? I think
2: it's, it has to do with marijuana. Oh, really? Yeah. Do that, he wants to defend Sean Rodriguez. Or that. Also, the Knox boys will play a special Oh, Thursday. they're awesome. They're great.
9: Big fan of the Knox boys. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah,
2: they're great. Blah Knox boys. Yeah. Uh, that's tomorrow in a special Thursday Coffee House. And the man, the godfather, Stan Savern. Michelle's up next. Electric Lunch at noon. I'm finished. You stay classy, Pittsburgh. Don't touch your face. I got
5: him
9: dead, Pittsburgh, all day, baby.
1: For now, you guys call me Ronald.
9: Would you not eat my pants?
5: Ronald.
1: <laughs> ah! mm-hmm.